this has been a long time coming, our conversation. And I am beyond pleased that you're making the time to talk to me tonight. I think a year ago, um, we had scheduled a conversation to record and you were very frank and said that this is not a good time. We, we can't, I can't be blase about the world right now. And it was one of the first instances where someone was so honest with me about how they were, where their head was at. Right. Like we've had a year now to get our heads wrapped around what's going on. And there are still people who deny their feelings about it. But I, I really appreciated your honesty in that, in that moment. Uh, but a year later and you're feeling a little bit better and you feel like you can have a conversation with me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's not just about not wanting to have a conversation, but being in a bad place back then. It was, we were, the tsunami was coming. And yeah. what at that point, all of a sudden, the water had suddenly disappeared out and there was this huge big beach. And for a lot of people, they didn't know what this was coming. And there was suggestions and in my work and uh, personal relationships with people, I get a lot of exposure to the world uh, at large, the various areas of the world in particular, maybe what some larger corporations are doing internationally. Mm -hmm. And the money is always an interesting telltale of what's happening. And also, you know, seeing, you know, friends living in uh, Korea and Japan and hearing what they were saying. And mm -hmm. a friend who was living in Japan, who moved back to the UK, he was from the UK um, and uh, had moved to live in Japan for a long time and had just moved back to the UK. And his reason being was that he missed the opportunity to stock up on the things that the stores had all sold out of. And as in, he let the tsunami hit him and he's like, look, Europe is about two months behind. So by moving back to the UK, I can go and do the things. It's like rewinding time, rewinding right. the clock back. And right. we can react to everything that's going to happen in the next two months. And mm -hmm. he was generous enough to actually share all his notes of like, if you want to listen to me, this is what's going to happen. And this is, right. you know, and so it was things like, Toilet paper is going to sell out in all of the stores. Uh, the cleaning project products to clean your hands—they're just there's not going to be any. There's going, you know, he, he listed all these things, right. and, and, and he also he listed the thing um, things not to do. Actually, you you actually I think you know this. Uh, Jim McNiven, uh, who started Curb in Brighton. Um, mm. Anyway, Jim Jim posted this. Uh, share this information very kindly. It's like here's here's what not to do. And amid the panic, don't go and go and buy as much you know vegetables, uh, fresh fruit and meat as you can. A, a lot of people did that, and then you know you're like, okay, we're now safe. We've got a bunch of food that then goes off a month later because like this is something that's gone for the long run. So yeah, I, I paid attention to what he said. I also got to see, as I said, a whole bunch of companies. Um, large multinationals, how they were spending money internationally, and I got to see that. Wait a minute, this is this this is a very big tsunami coming. The world will be a different world in a few months. Mm -hmm. And then you 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 got in touch to say, look, do you want to do this podcast? And I'm like, it's going to date so much. It's going to it's really going to age because <laughs> you know, at this point, nobody was wearing nobody was wearing masks yet. For example, for example. Yeah, you know? I know, I know. And uh, you know, uh, 
Like it was, it was mid-March that you had said, look, I can't do it. And mid-March is when we all went into lockdown. And I thought, you know, in, in that moment, I thought how prescient you are, like how, like how much you know about what's going on that, because, you know, I was aware, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I was never aware of the extent. And I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge you did. And I, it's, it's amazing that you take it up. Like, it's like having a time traveler come to you and Mm. go, by the way, in two months' time, you're going to want to do this. That's the kind of thing that's so invaluable. Anyways, what I'm going to get you to do, though, is I'm going to get you to introduce yourself, if that be, if that's possible. Yeah, I can do that. Um, you're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process, with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. I'm Hoss Gifford. Uh, I'm a very old man of technology. I'm the, I provide executive level technical stewardship to creative organizations, which is a really grandiose term, um, which essentially means that I'm a technologist maker that landed in a leadership position. Uh, so I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, enjoy getting my hands dirty, but essentially a technologist that helps run larger creative organizations. Yeah, so just some some history of how I got here. Um, I have a degree in architecture and then moved from there into graphic design. I ran a graphic design agency for a few years and then from there went into advertising. Um, Advertising became digital slash viral marketing website type stuff. And then from there, started my initial sort of leadership jobs, took a non-executive position with a branding consultancy and gradually evolved more into that side of things uh, to the point where up till recently, I did a, two things. Uh, this executive level technical stewardship, um, essentially think of like a fractional share CTO um, and also as a physical computing, um, essentially a creative technologist that largely builds installations for ad campaigns where the final outcome of the ad campaign is a piece of video that's used in an ad, um, but you're essentially creating a prop. Uh, you're building a prop that's a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so, so that, that's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> so that's me. Uh, and as far as work's concerned, um, yeah, and I'm a really, really happy person. And I've had that as well. You've always seemed very happy to me. I've always been just blown away by your product, right? Like by, by what you execute with. And it's, and I think one of the things I'd like to talk a little bit about is um, the problem solving that comes with dealing with unproven and un, never made technology. You know what I mean? I think when, when what we tend to deal with is one-off, proppy, you know, you mentioned it's like a prop for a, a stunt, but it's, it's a one-off thing that generally just needs to work for a short period of time. And, you know, it, it, does anything sort of stand out as like, one, as like just a truly beautiful technical execution on your part where you're like, I am so proud I discovered this. And then second to that, is there anything that stands out as like a, boy, what was I thinking? 
No, like every project I've ever done has got more than a, a sprinkle of, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And like, can, can I think of something? Well, you know, like, how, how much time do we have? We have all um, the time in the world. <laughs> and uh, I mean, add to that, I don't actually consider myself a particularly wonderful technologist. Uh, I think I've had success largely by cheating the system and it's not necessarily through any well obviously you have to have a degree of technical competence to be able to do what we do but there are definitely lots of people much better at what i do and work a lot harder than i do their stuff and generally speaking the the things which um some of the things i'm most proud of are actually having sex successful largely because i found a, a way to cheat Mm. And that, I'm particularly proud of those because I think, you know, that is extremely valid. And I went through a phase, a phase, uh, I spent a few years, <laughs> it sounds like I'm like going through puberty or something. Uh, let me talk about puberty. No, when I, uh, <laughs> I spent three or four years there working as in this role, building, as I said, technology props, physical computing for ad campaigns effectively. Mm-hmm. And, the new clients would come in in the same route every time, and which was largely from LinkedIn. Somebody would search creative technologies in LinkedIn and they'd get in touch with me and they'd say, we've got this project and I've spoken to a bunch of people and nobody says it can work and you're our last resort, which is the ultimate backhanded compliment. Cause it's kind of like, well, where the fuck were you? Yeah, you know? why didn't you come to me first? <laughs> It's like, really? So, like, we've talked to everybody, everybody else. And I mean, everybody. We've gone everywhere but you. But then we found know, you, spoken, thanks to a hashtag. We, we've spoken <laughs> to everybody, but guess we're now, you know, going to try oh, you. Yeah, you're the last but, name on that list. But at the, same t- at the same time, it's incredibly complimentary. They're like, well, you know, like we've been told, you know, and often like somebody's mentioned, you know, it's like, well, you might want to speak Have to you this tried guy. Boss? Yeah, 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 and so there's a it's it's a lovely compliment as well. It's, it's a bit of a kick in the balls, um, but generally <laughs> speaking, generally speaking, the for the the longest time, most jobs were I would be hired to unfuck a project. Um, so generally right. speaking, what the process would be is a creative agency will pitch ideas at their client. It'll often be based on looking at lots of cool stuff that other people have done before and spinning it towards the brand values of their particular uh, client. Right. Account manager will account manager will go and present the ideas and come back with a big smile on their face and say, "Great, wonderful news! The client's chosen this." At which point, the creatives all look at each other and go, "How the fuck are we going to deliver that?" We never uh, <laughs> for that one to sell. We really wanted to do this other one. Why so did what we they throw do in the magic is, beans? You know, Exactly. So they hire a marketing company with um, experience in activations and they say, oh, yeah, you know, we could we could do that. And then they get it and then they take it to their team. And they're like, well, we've no idea how to, how to do that. So they then contact uh, an experiential marketing company. Mm-hmm. And experiential marketing company. I mean, all these companies have got portfolios full of similar work. So it all looks like they can do it. And they they get it and they're like, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then they're like, well, a lot of these companies are smaller and they'll then find the contractor they work with. Yeah. And what you end up with is they've got a very talented contractor, usually somebody who might 
consider, you know, market themselves as a creative technologist who will take the brief that's handed to them and look to deliver the solution that's been asked for. And they're so far removed from the original conversation and the original cell that they're now trying to deliver this thing, whether it's possible or not, whether it's even necessarily the right thing to do. And what you do is you're removing the creative concept from the means of production. And often some of the real magic of the sprinkles that appear in a project happen during the, the production, as you know. So you're removing yourself from that. Also, if you hit a barrier that's something that it just feels it can't be done, then the challenge there is that they get stuck and yeah. quite rightly, and it's not because they're not good creative technologists. And, and people, people come to me and I, I'll ask them, well, who's been working on this? And I'm like, well, they're all a bit more talented than me. And he says, but here's what will happen. If you let me speak to your client, and they're like, well, you want, you want to speak to the client? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't just mean your client. I mean your client's client's client. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to get to the source of this and find out what you're actually trying to do. And when you have that conversation, you'll realize what their objective was. And you realize, actually, there's a slightly different way to do this that's a whole lot easier to make and will accomplish the same goals. Yeah. Now, that, and then I'll really successfully deliver that really easy thing <laughs> and everybody's yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you, the, you know, it's funny when, when you say, I, I, I cheat, I cheat the, the thing. I really think that it's more along the lines of, and this is one of the things I really admire about when, I, when I've seen you speak and when I've seen you speak about specific projects, which we don't need to really get into that much, but you talk, you talk about one is there are things that you do need to solve and there are things that you do need to figure out. But then on the other hand, you go, what if I gave you a button and that thing that you needed to do does the thing you needed to do when you need it to happen. And that yeah. is like, Honestly, that's what a prop is. That's a thing that does the thing you ask it to do whenever you ask it to do it. <laughs> that's, I just think it's so great. Every time I've had a conversation with someone and they were like, they pitch me an idea and I go, oh yeah, I mean, I take it very literally. Like I'm going to build that thing from top to bottom. And I never think, what, what is it you need? You really need it to do? Because if, if I could just give you a button that does that thing, would that be cool? It never no. occurs to me. That is why I'm not a technical stewardship person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just a creative technologist. <laughs> and, and, I mean, if I had to call out one thing, I mean, I, like, well, I, I'm particularly proud of the project, which it was actually my first project um, with you guys at Thinking Box. And mm. it was for a... Uh, client called life is good uh t-shirt brand or clothing brand and the project that had worked its way through whoever to get to thinking box was we want some kind of machine that allows when somebody thinks happy thoughts that water pours out of a tap and fills a glass right and when you had that as a straight up brief to a creative technologist then the first thing you do, well, okay, think happy thoughts. You're like, right, so there's some kind of Sensor EEG involved in here. Yeah, so you're like, yeah. So, you, so you're like, well, I need an EEG. And there, there's a couple of different uh, consumer-grade sure. EEG headsets available. So then you get the headset and you start working, you know, what's the API give me access to? And and then you start to realize, well, wait a minute, even though I've got this set up, I can read different brain wave patterns or essentially you're reading electrical activity levels in different parts of the brain. What 
comprises happiness. And I think that's where that project initially got stuck is that, you know, like my happiness might be driving a race car and somebody else's happiness might be be lying on a beach. And the electrical activity pattern in our brains is completely different depending on those two different things, different levels, different levels of adrenaline, but they're happy thoughts as such. Mm -hmm. So the, the challenge actually in this one wasn't, technology and this is you know i, I kind of worked this one out fairly quickly because and it was largely because the the level of work required in working with the api of the eg headset is like holy shit this is this, this is a mountain to climb <laughs> like I, 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 I wonder if there's a path around the back of the mountain instead you know right. um is there a tunnel where, 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 <laughs> where they're selling photographs of the view from the top or something you know so um <laughs> And there's a gondola and like, right here. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, and then in that particular instance, I realized, well, in actually, the way to solve this is actually with a bit, bit of theater. What you can mm-hmm. do is measure the, take a thumbprint, if you like, of the electrical activity in somebody's head. So put the headset on somebody. This is always has, um, uh, What's a BA brand ambassador? Always had somebody there operating it and put yep. it on the on the customer or the, the victim. And while this is on their head, participant, <laughs> participant. That's what yes, that's right. Victim. <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> you've, been out, you've been out of the game a while. <laughs> I know. That's yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the the BA well, gets gets the job done yeah, to put, B, put it on the head. B, and... BA puts the headset on the participant and explains this is what we're going to do and i wrote i solved this with a script yeah and the script was explain what we're going to do what we're going to do and while the person's talking they're settling down they've got the mm-hmm. eg headsets leveling out what it's making sure we can receive and i say what we're going to do is we're going to get you to think happy thoughts and what i want you to do right now is we'll have a practice run think happy thoughts and think of something that really makes you you're joyous and that person thinks really hard about that particular joyous thing. Right. And there's a button, again, it's the hidden button in the pocket thing that I used quite a lot. Um, and what that does is says, this is the electrical activity for this person's happy thoughts. Right. And then we connect it, we make the whole system active and say, right, okay, think your happy thoughts. And all they're doing is where, if they get the same electrical, roughly the same electrical activity happening inside of their head, then we recognize that's what's happening and, you know, just tell an Arduino to start the pump and pour the water. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so, it's, so it's, you know, it's, it's actually becomes this, this really straightforward thing. Now, if you were going to be scientific about it, you could say, well, it's not really measuring if somebody's thinking happy thoughts. I could have sure. thought murder, murder, death, kill. And as long as I thought the same murder, death, kill afterwards, I'd be pouring that water out. With the, with the same level of intensity that you had to, to create that baseline. I lo- I just think it, I think that that's this. See, part of that, and, and I've had this conversation now with a number of our old Flash, you know, relatives. Uh, the idea that, um, you know, needing to troubleshoot and needing to figure out how to make something work came from a long like a long time of trying to figure out how to make things work right so we we got used to that just doesn't exist so we're going to make it exist and this is how we're going to make it exist and i think that's a classic example of that is you know what i need a baseline so to get a baseline i'm going to have them think of it and i'm going to hit a button and that's going to be my baseline and then i'm going to engage the system and if they can maintain that same thing you know i think it's i think it's just great yeah 
I, I you know, and another anecdote, and I'm going to get you to tell it, <laughs> but I love the story of uh, creating the um, the building with the lights, a, a building model where you where you rigged up a whole bunch of LEDs. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell that? Can you? I think it's a particularly funny anecdote, um, and it, it 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 really speaks to. I know what I know, and now I know this extra thing. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, actually, I mean, before I shared that anecdote, I mean, on that same theme, I remember. So I used to uh, own a company with a couple of other people. One of whom is uh, Brian Lemond, who has gone on to be the British TV celebrity Limmy. And mm-hmm. I remember being in the office, we're, you know, three Flash developers all sort of out flashing each other with our, our skills. <laughs> and I remember coming up against something, something really like, I mean, it was something mundane. It was like, how right. do you add a keyframe here without doing something else? You know, there was something like that. And Brian turned around and said, how the fuck do you not know that? That's something I learned <laughs> in my first week with Flash. And I'm like, well, I, I've just never had the need to know it. And we were all like very, very experienced, very competent Flash developers. Right. Yeah. And this just isn't something, it was something to do with like controlling a mask within an object or something. And sure. I was like, I just haven't never had needed the need to know to it do before. It, to do it. <laughs> so he said, so he said, what you do is you do this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, I now know how to do that thing. And it's like, and he, yeah. I remember him going like, Oh yeah, that's all it is. You just like it's not hard things and uh, stuff you know and stuff you don't know. And yeah. like, I now know that thing, so I have the same amount of knowledge that he has on this, the, that particular thing. And that kind of <laughs> that kind of it kind of stuck with me for that. And then so the, the the project, the lighting you're talking about is so it's a company that I still provide executive level technical stewardship oh, for. Okay, well, yeah, it can so remain unnamed um, <laughs> if that has to be. <laughs> no, I can't do it. it. It's a property platform in, in Manhattan. So I'm the CTO of that company. And mm-hmm. we were out in Dubai wiring up a building model to our software so that our software allowed you to select a particular apartment in this uh, apartment building that was being created and then it would cause an led inside the building to light up okay uh the build the building model and the building model maker said to us so how do you want us to provide the wiring for the, the lights and like, we had no idea like we knew that because we'd read the you know, introduction to Arduino book that we could control <laughs> a whole bunch of LEDs. <laughs> yeah, we could send some serial command that would switch an LED on and off. And I'm like, well, if I could send, because the first thing you learn whenever you do anything with the, it's the hello world really of Arduino hello is world. switching an LED yeah. on and off. I'm like, well, it's just, it's hello world. But it's there was, pin. I think there was 700 units. So there was like <laughs> 700 hello worlds all at once. It's a choir of hello world. Like, like how hard can oh, it be? And yeah. And we did actually, we hired a really talented um, physical computing guy to build the full proper final electronics in this so it could support everything. And it was really, he did a great job. And we turned up and there was just like an umbilical cord of, (laughs) you know, like just over a thousand cables hanging out the bottom of this tower. tower. And none of them were really that long either. So like, it's not like we could like trail them out from under the building and reach them. We had to climb in underneath this architectural model and wire them up. To connect them all together. 
oh yeah, it, it, and it was just like it was real brute force forcing it we did it and although you know about halfway through it about four hours into this it was myself and um my friend mark that I work with uh in this existing company and he mark turned around to me after about four hours and said he was looking kind of confused and i'm like is everything okay he goes i forgot to tell you i'm numerically dyslexic <laughs> 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 and like you're attaching wire number two three four to the other wire number two three four and i'm like you're joking right it's like no so i'm like well you know maybe you've got them right and he's like maybe probably and so we we, 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 we we tested a dozen and probably about four out of the dozen were wrong you know and i'm like oh, no. 700 units so, and you're like you know it's like you know if if, if somebody like pisses in your beer yeah. even if it's just a little bit piss you're probably still- going to want to start that beer again it's still it's not like <laughs> it's not like now because that might have been the only four that's a surprising analogy but it's absolutely true <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it can just be the tiniest little drop it's just probably, a little droplet yeah, probably, from a flung yeah, I'm, I'm gonna you know what i'm good i'm gonna get a new pint yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> So we had to unplug everything and start again from scratch. Oh my God. And, this and you time, had to uh, do it this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I gave him tasks which didn't involve having to read any numbers. Um, but you know what? We, we, we got through it together and it's a story we still tell people. And um, actually, we're about to start a project uh, for one of the new super cities in uh, Saudi Arabia. And right. it's the same client out there that we were working for in that original project way back in the day. And it's uh, it's funny, you look back, you know, talking about other projects where I've got anything that I'm embarrassed of. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch which were awful. Um, and you eventually work through it, you learn your thing. And, you know, it's a, you, the thing about working in innovation where you're, you're working with new, new technology is you're making up, you know, you're, as you know, better than anybody you're making up as you go along yeah and you're not hired necessarily well you're, you're hired maybe 50 percent for the things you know and 50 percent for your ability to learn what you need to know to be able to do the thing <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and that, that, that's a really 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 uh, important aspect of it and this one you know we went in not knowing enough to do the job efficiently but we did it and in the process you know, we have the scars from that and we've created a very successful company that has billions of dollars worth of real estate on it um, for sale across the world. Mm-hmm. It's the if you are sell if you're a property developer that has hired what's it's an awful term, but if you've hired a star architect for your building, if you're at that level mm-hmm. of real estate, then you come to us for your. Uh, the software which runs in your sales center. So, right. the, like, there, we don't we don't have any competition at that. It's very high end luxury real estate, and mm-hmm. uh, and again, it, it comes from that world of us just hammering at it and, and learning how to do it. I think what's even funnier is is that's not even the anecdote I was thinking about. <laughs> really? Well, You'd mentioned to me one where I fucked little, up with a lot of lights. Yeah, no, it, it. I don't know about. I don't know about that, but you had mentioned to me about you know doing this big wiring loom to to use an Arduino to control the lights, and and the, some tradesperson just said, "Why aren't you using DMX?" And it was like, you know, well, "Yeah, oh, that was the same." <laughs> and you were like, oh, "That was what, that was after oh. we wired." Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny how like now because I, yeah. you know Urban Visuals, you know Nathan Whitford, and and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like he's just like the DMX king. You know, he's the king of lights in my view. So it's the first time I worked with him on anything. Like I had, I, he's like, I want to control these lights over DMX, but I want to use an Arduino. Can you do that? And I was like, no. Oh yes. You know what I mean? Like it was that reaction. Yeah, yeah. Like just, I've never done it before, but I'm sure I can. And it turned out that he, he'd already, he had a wiring set up and he showed me how to wire it up and I was able to do it, but it was a funny, like it was a funny moment. And it brought me back to you telling me this story about like the, this trades guy going like, why aren't you using DMX? Like it just, it's because it's built for that, you know, like a highly addressable system of lighting. And another aspect of that is that, you know, a lot of what we learn doesn't last. I mean, there's an expiry date in a lot of the learnings that we have when you're at that sharp end of things. And and I'm not just talking about, Hey, we used to be flash developers. What do we do now? And I'm, 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 I'm as much as anything, you know, talking about like, like, for example, now it's all, it's all addressable LEDs now. So yeah. that we actually have, it's a much, 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 much simpler task for us to do that mm. kind of things. But, you know, having come up through doing it the hardware, hard way, this definitely helps enlighten your approach. And I think that, you know, like, again, looking back at, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big reader. Uh, I have a, I read a lot of books and this initially came from an insecurity of, I don't know how to do any of the things I'm doing. I'm, I need to learn. And if I read a book, that book will tell me how to do the thing um, because I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of making up going away. And, and I think that um, powerful drive of insecurity has definitely helped a great deal of, of what I've done along the way. And, you know, I've generally speaking throughout my career been surrounded by some of the world's most talented people at the thing that I'm doing right. and which, you know, it, it, it's nice to be in their company, but ultimately it's like, yeah, you know, I, I got nothing on these people, you know, and I, I'm very, very fortunate that it's a generous group of people that have, you know, dragged me up with them to a certain extent in both in the opportunities in my career and also in the learning in my career, you know, so uh, was, for sure. You know, Colin Mook, who's a, a a very good friend of mine, he, it was him that sat me down and goes, right, you really need to get this objective-oriented programming sorted out. You need to learn this. And <laughs> he sat me down and, and devoted his time and forced me to get my head around it. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, I can't believe I didn't do this before now. And that was an incredibly generous thing to have done. And I've had many instances of that where where you know, you, you you're being around those people and feel that security and they, they, they share that knowledge. And what you realize is it's not just, just you. And, and, and I've also, I'd like to think I've passed that on a bit. Um, there's a few, in, few times where I've gone out of my way to share that, share that love. I, I did a, an action script, learn action script three, um, learn object to action script three and how to deploy an app to iPad. And I set up as a free training course in Glasgow when mm-hmm. I was based there. And, did the course and it was kind of one of those things where people were like well but what's the catch these are like you know what's the upsell yeah I'm like, no, it's like, like, I'm like <laughs> timeshare you have to sign up for a timeshare after you're done yeah and i'm like you know like i, just I, I got to, to learn yeah i got to learn it and be very competent at, at my craft um largely because a group of people took their time out to help me learn this and i was just passing it on and it just you know just it's it's a nice thing to do, but it's not completely altruistic because I remember I got an, an email oh, from a, a woman that was at the training course 
a couple of years later to say, I mean, such a, I mean, it really it actually did bring me to tears to say that I didn't, you didn't know at the time, but I was actually pregnant um, with my second daughter. I was at a point in my career where I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I was an average to beginner type flash developer. I right. really hadn't really found my way. I wasn't getting to do very interesting work, but I came along and did that. Um, two-day course where you taught us how to get an app onto an iPad and how to write object-oriented code. Um, and it led to me getting a job doing this. I ended up working, building this stuff for the Glasgow Science Centre. It completely transformed mm. my career. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I am with my family if it wasn't for that there. Now, she's, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure she still thanked me of getting her into Flash in the way that I did. But, <laughs> but <laughs> Surely but she, she's she, moved she, on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she has, but it was one of those things where, you know, there were other people at it as well, but it was just one of the things I'm most proud of is having, you know, taken the time to do that, you know, and Mm -hmm. you you, you talk at conferences as well. Talk at conferences is another great thing to do for that as well. I, you know, my my main gig at the moment is I'm CTO of Cubic, uh, which is a company international company head office is in toronto where we build trade show stands and museum exhibits and experiential marketing stuff and we do mm. fit out retail stores um, it's connected to a lot of the stuff i've done in the past but um, on just on a, on a much larger scale and we had an installation for honda to do and it's a physical computing job where we needed a a large screen to be dragged along on rollers in front of a car. So we needed to, uh, um, a way to, for the, the, the screen to know where it is in front of the car, which then updates a, a 3D render of the vehicle to make it look like an X-ray, kind of faked augmented reality type thing. And yeah. I, the kind of stuff that is exactly the kind of stuff I, I wanted to do more of when I was actually hands-on making this stuff. And except this time I hired a company to do it in um, in Toronto. We did a really, really good job. And the guy who came out to like wire up the electronics and test it and go over the stuff. And, you know, there was one pipe not quite working exactly how we wanted it to. And so I made suggestions. We started talking the pseudo code, you know, and, and I was like, I hope I'm not overstepping the mark because I'm your client guy and I'm not, we don't think I'm telling you how to do your job, you know, I'm not, right, I'm not I'm right. just like, here, here's another way that, that, you know, you could write that um, C++ code to m- make it more flexible and do more stuff. And the guy took it really well. And he was like, look, I, I, I do know where you are. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, the reason I got into this was I went to an FITC talk two, two ah. years ago where <laughs> you presented to say, this is how, if you're a software person, this is how you get into hardware, do this, right. this, and this. And it says, I went away and did it. And as a result of being at your talk, that's how I got this job. Here I am. And I was like, <laughs> wow. And again, it was another one of those like tear jerker moments of like, right. I'm doing, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. <laughs> well, listen, I'll tell you, uh, it, this happened. This happened to me uh, a year, a year, a year and a half ago. I was, I was having lunch with this guy, and he, <laughs> do you know a, a guy named Andre Elijah who's like a VR guy andre his name is andre fedor anyways he he, he's a huge vr person does a lot of work with Mm. unreal engine and stuff like that and we were having lunch and i don't know him like he's he's a lot younger than i am and and we're having this conversation he says you know what got me into flash Uh, because he was was a flash guy what got me into flash was uh i went to fitc and there was this guy on stage oh no no sorry let me let me let me how did he put it oh i know i was watching tech tv and Tech TV 
they showed this awards, this, this uh, competition where this guy was wearing like a Chinese shirt and it was like Iron Chef, but Iron, called Iron Flash. And it was like an hour long show. And this guy was like marching up and down the stage and people were live coding. And that's what got me into Flash. And I go, I was that guy. I am that host. And he's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You're the reason I'm doing Flashes. I always saw this show and I had to get into it. I was in high school and I was like, that was the, it, like, it, that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, good. Cause I, you know, you second guess every move you make and that, that particular hosting gig, I don't know, man. Like I, I never saw it. <laughs> so I never, I never, I always thought I got cut out of a ton of it. I always really second guessed it, but to have this guy like get so stoked to realize that he's sitting with the person that had hosted that show. I was just like, that is the best thing ever, you know? So to have, to have someone say to you, like, I saw you talk that that's so gratifying, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, those are the, uh, the best bits of, of this job, you know? And, I've actually, I was quite down about a whole bunch of my earlier work. Some of the stuff that got me the most attention and then got me invited to talk at conferences and like mm. moved me on in my career. And part of this was um, I did a, a, a disastrous conference presentation in Minneapolis where it all went terribly wrong for me. And I, I, made, I made a very inappropriate presentation for the audience. Uh, what happened was the month before I did a presentation in Boston where it was a half beer festival and right. half flash flash conference. And you're, like, you're on stage and nobody can hear you. So I, I amped up this talk and removed all the educational content of it and just made it pure stand-up. And the, the a bunch of drunk people in the audience. They, they loved it, you know? Right. And then I got to uh, Minneapolis and I, I did the same presentation. And I also did it because I'd hurt my arm the day before. And so I had to go to hospital that morning. And so I was actually on oxys and mm. somebody handed me a beer when I went up on stage. And, you know, these are all excuses. Uh, they're how this thing came about. It was actually a very, very um, valuable experience in my life. Uh, I'm not For sure. proud of the presentation I made at all, no. but what it did do was it really brought my attention to what I was doing. And a couple of people said the same thing to me independently. It says, you know, you don't actually need to do all the gags and stuff. You actually, the stuff you've got to say is kind of interesting and all the stuff, the jokes and things and the outrageousness, you know, it, it can work, but it's not, you don't have to do that. And it's, kind of taken a bit aback by that. And then I didn't do a talk for a couple of years. And then I came back to do um, a talk, like an unplugged talk where I um, didn't have any of the fanfare. And it, it was very, very well received. And, you know, it, it's very, very sort of, for me, extremely instrumental um, in my career, having the opportunity to, to, to reconsider, um, you know, what, what you're doing. And then I'd look back at my work. And like, I remember somebody come up to me at a, I don't know what it was. Well, actually, I think it was a member of staff of my work saying, didn't you used to be the spank the monkey guy or something? <laughs> like, right. Or aren't you the spank the monkey guy? And I'm like, really, is that what I'm going to be remembered for is the guy that made spank the monkey? And I'm like, and I, I kind of got <clears throat> down about all that stuff. I'm like, what have I really done with my career? What have I really made? And this, this dumb stuff. And, and then every now and then I get a reminder that, you know, it, it, it yes, it was flippant, but in actual fact, a bunch of people got something out of it, you know, and I should sure. just, I'm going to go to the point where I'm going to, I got an email last week from somebody. I don't get these very often. I get them maybe every couple of months, mm. but I get the most lovely email that reminds me that it actually 
it wasn't necessarily a bad thing to do. And I shouldn't necessarily be ashamed of that work. So I got this, this is an email from, I probably shouldn't name the person, but um, actually I can give the first name. So it's somebody called Ella sent me an email. This is a contact email from my website. <clears throat> it says, hello, I'm contacting you to let you know that one of the programs you developed is no longer supported because of Adobe Flash Player being gone. Hmm. Spank, the Mon- Spank the Monkey was one of my favorite games growing up and I'm so sad it is gone. I do not know if you're able to do anything about this or if you're even the real programmer behind this. I'm just so (laughs) desperate to play Spank the Monkey again. Thank you so much for unknowingly having such a big impact on my childhood. My best, Ella. And I'm like, wow. And here's me like getting a bit like down on that stuff. I'm like, actually, do you know what? Some people really, really... um, got stuff out of some of the stuff I did, you know, and, and yeah. it's like, so I'm, I'm, I'm over that now. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I built, uh, I mean, you're aware of this, but I built those craft bears with the glowing yep. ties. I am every, every couple of weeks, someone will comment on the blog post. I don't know exactly how it's, how it's being found, but someone will comment going, you need to sell me those bears. Like you need to sell those bears. I have a grandmother I haven't seen in a year and it's more poignant now than it's yeah. ever been because there are people who are saying like, my grandkids haven't seen their grandfather in, in a year. Uh, if, if they could have this bear, you know, give them a chance to to let him know whenever they can. And I, it's heartbreaking. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not allowed to sell the bears. And I, I, I stopped replying. I have to, yeah. I have to come up with like a, go to this post. I'm going to tell you how you make this. You know, <laughs> these, these are the parts. Cause honestly, like the, the bears, when I think back on how I made those initially, it was such a, I, I don't have a solidly happy memory of building those bears. They were just a grind, you know, I love the end product. I thought they worked great. I'm really proud of what I made, but just the grind to get them done was like, you know, it just wore me down. So getting these emails is like a reminder that the end product, that stunt really is what, what matters. You know, it doesn't matter how I felt in that moment. What, what I see now is I see those videos, people, you know, hugging the bear with their, um, with their father or the grandfather and, and then and then getting these emails where people are like i wish i could have that you know and and and, and what's really funny is the people that will reference other comments saying i i know you can't sell it based off of how you've replied to such and such it's it's a real shame because i think it's a lovely sentiment and i'm like yeah man i i 100 agree and i i think it is i think it is one of the things that we we have taken for granted in our careers in that we can actually have had an impact on people, you know, to have someone like that. Spank the monkey is like 25 years old, <laughs> right? Like it's, I mean, oh, oh, ne- ne- nearly, but not quite. Yeah. It's gotta be almost like, I mean, I, I've been busy for 20 years and you've been busy for 20 years, like well, you I, I, really I, early. Right. So, I actually created a very um, memorable clock to measure its age because um, I actually created it with my newborn baby sitting on my lap. Uh, so oh, okay. I, I volunteered to take the night shifts for after Sarah was born. And so Sarah was a few months old. And, you know, kids often when they're that age don't necessarily sleep all the way through the night. Yeah, so yeah. I would 
I was sitting writing codes and, you know, like cutting out the background of my photographs of that inflatable monkey while Sarah sat on my lap. <laughs> um, so when Sarah was three months, that's when it was created. And I created it across okay. three evenings back then. So um, Sarah is now a first year OCAD student. Okay. Um, and she isn't 20 yet. So oh, okay. Oh, uh, well, yeah. our memories are... Uh, I agree to disagree. <laughs> Sarah, that's you're cool. So, they, so 19, 19 years old. I mean, that's what I mean is like 19 years yeah, old to yeah. get an email from somebody in the past couple of weeks saying, Hey, by the way, I love yeah. that thing. Like that's, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a real, that's a real impact. Um, I have a question tied directly to when you first moved to Toronto, when you first moved to Toronto, you started go-karting and i mean I, I don't know if you were go-karting in in uh scotland or wherever or you just go-karted kind of like i'm enjoying it but you you took it super you were really into it like it's like yeah. you're go-karting a lot so i started going to driving sort of there wasn't racing it was lapping weekends it's part of the bmw trillium bmw school so you go and you get to drive as fast as you can around the track um and Safely. there's a well there's an instructor with you teach, teaching right. you how to drive oh, fast okay okay it, it's the only thing about it's not racing because it, it's affordable because you're not racing as soon as you start racing insurance disappears out the window right very expensive but the, the trick is you're not racing against any other cars. You're really just trying to drive fast and you're not allowed to time your lap because oh. timing your lap means that you might be trying to beat your best time kind of thing. Oh, not to okay. say that you can't just sit your phone there filming and, you know, and you look at it afterwards, you know, <laughs> but that, obviously that would, that would not be allowed. So anyway, I started doing this. Um, I came over from Glasgow for one of these in Scotland and then, I then moved to New York and I worked in Manhattan for a summer and a couple of the time, a couple of times I, I flew up to Toronto to participate. And then eventually we had to, you know, next year I moved to live in Toronto and started going to the track. And the guy who I rented my race car, I, I, I went all in. Colin would take his very uh, well-tuned BMW, but I just rented a race car because I didn't, I didn't own a car in Toronto. So I was, and mostly it's like, you know, it's guys with their, you know, fast and furious, whatever car they've got, the, the road car that they've turned up to race around. And there's sure. me turning up with a, a car with slicks and uh, <laughs> straight through exhaust. And it's like a pure race car kind of thing. And I just, just the thing I hired, I hired for it really, really got into it. But the guy who I rented the race car said, you know, like, are you, have you ever tried karting? I'm like, um, like the thing that kids do. And it's like, well, not quite. <laughs> so it, it, it turned out there was a, an FIA sanctioned racetrack for karting um, as part of the same comp complex out at Mossport. And he said, look, why don't you go and try it? It's open wheel racing. It's relatively affordable. And so I went and I, I had done a couple of like corporate day out For karting sure. things back in the yeah. UK. And I loved them, but it was like a one-off thing. So this was, I went, I did this, I did a, a trial out day thing. And I, you know, you do the one day event. And then at the end of your session, you've got all these people turning up that all know each other that go and, and race there every week. That's the thing. They are cart racers. And yeah. I just moved to Toronto. And often when you move to a new place, it's an opportunity to reinvent yourself to a certain extent. And I'm like, yep. oh, I, I wish I was one of those cart racers. And I was like, actually, I'm just, 
all it takes is for me to make that decision. I'm now one of those cart guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I just decided this this is now my hobby. I, I now race go-karts. And, you know, it, it's, you know, fast-paced, really full-on, very, very physical uh, racing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't own a car at the time either. And it's in Mossport, which is, you know, in a good day is an hour and 15 minutes drive out from t- Toronto. So what I did was, and I, I worked in, at One Method at the time, was I went to Mech and I bought a backpack that was big enough to fit a crash helmet inside. And <laughs> I, because I, I rode my bicycle to work each day. So I rode my bike to right. work with my bike and my racing suit crammed into this backpack. <laughs> and I remember, I remember speaking to Amin, the owner of One Method, and I said, look, I'm going to duck out slightly early every Wednesday so to go and race go-karts. And he's like, is that okay with you? And he's like, that sounds amazing. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so what I would do was I'd leave One Method about four and go to the, the zip car lot at the end of the street right? and put my, put my stuff in a zip car and drive to the racetrack and do a night, a night's racing, and then return the car, jump on my bike at the end of the night, and ride my bike back home. <laughs> um, and then that's what I did for the first years worth of karting. And then you know, from there, did arrive and drive, arrive and drive into uh, club racing, club into regional racing. And I gradually worked up and up levels, got more and more competitive, got my own cart, then got my own faster cart, right. and eventually got to the point where I'm like, you know, you're racing against people who are prepared to take a risk and potentially crash the two of you out in a way that could cause you real damage. Um, yeah. And here's the thing is, I was racing in the seniors, which is a class where like everybody's going to work on Monday. None of us are going to become Formula One drivers anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and so you're actually risking your livelihood doing this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this isn't fun anymore. I, unless I become less good and start racing further back in the pack or in a lower league, this isn't going anywhere. So eventually that was one of the reasons why I decided to retire from it. But have you followed anybody else's path in, in, this, in this sense? Because it, it wouldn't be like a ton of people who, who are involved in computers that also don't drive you know what i mean like so is there is that like a small sort of <laughs> yeah you know I, what I, I mean there, like, were, there weren't very many other ctos in the karting league i was racing in if that's <laughs> <laughs> what you're getting at and no i mean it's I, i've always had a very diverse group of friends i i am I'm, I'm i'm the person that has i'm the friend that people see once a year yeah oh, um as opposed yep. to like in that small group where you you see me every week and part of that reason is that i've almost got a bunch of different siloed group of not deliberately so they just have such very different interests from each other mm-hmm. so i have a group of people who are into race cars and you know and that and a group of people who are in into you know, Burning Man, and the two don't have a big load of contract like, crossover. Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's there's a whole bunch of these worlds which don't have a. I mean, occasionally there is, occasionally a little bit of crossover, which is great. Um, but generally speaking, no, no, it, it, it's a bit stand standalone. And I mean, you got like occasionally you'll you'll hear of somebody else that's doing like there was actually. Um, What's his name? DHH David Heinmeier Hansen, the uh, the chap that uh, did Ruby and Rails. He had a very famous, successful, or has a famous, successful uh, car racing career. Um, which hmm. uh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a really big reader, and as I mentioned, and I a couple of books I've read on 
I, li- I like to read about success and how people succeed. And it's, good, it's almost like a bit of kind of self-help type thing. Um, but again, it's that whole insecurity about one of these books is going to tell me, explain how I'm, I should really be doing this. Cause I'm, I'm just, <laughs> there's a step. I'm just step making guide. up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm still making up as I go along somewhere. must be a manual of how to do this thing called life. And, you know, I, the, I think three or four books I've read over the last couple of years have, um, used DHH as an anecdote and talked about him taking the fast track to success all the way and being utterly focused. And I think uh, Carl Newport's book, Deep Work, was a good one, talking about just being utterly laser-focused on the thing that you're doing. Uh, hmm. And um, again, I think it was uh, Gary Keller's book, the, the One Thing. I recommend that one as well. And again, it's like what he did in, in Ruben Rails was like, let's just make this thing that does just enough of what I need to do in the most efficient way possible based on lots of assumptions so I can, you know, n- not try to be holistic and not worry about being opinionated and just get as fast as you can. And he, right. did, he did that, he did that with um, his race car career as well. Cause very easy to be cynical about somebody coming to race car driving later in their life. You know, you just need to ask you know, Paul Newman, for example, but the, <laughs> we, we when you look at um, what he did is when you start uh, racing, you have to do a certain number of races before you're allowed to go into the next league, the next class up of racing. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, what people will do is they'll do a few years in this one, league, or at least one anyway, in, in that one class racing, then go up a class and up a class. And that's, it takes a long time. What he did instead was, say, okay, what's the minimum number of races I need to do, which is six in the, in the beginner's class, did that, and then just abandoned the class, didn't even finish the league, <laughs> and went straight into the next league. And he's like, well, I'm not going to win it because I'm starting halfway through, but I can get enough races in right. to get to the next league after that. Instead of learning all the things and going wide and being thorough in finishing leagues and accomplishing being accomplished every step it was a case of right. how quickly can i get through the steps to the thing i want to do right. and after a, it may it may even have been say two or three years he was racing in the le mans 24 hours and he's actually been very successful and so he's taken that you know laser focused shortcut to the success in his career and there's lots of people who advocate that as a as a means of success and what i've realized over time actually in in, in my work I'm the opposite. I, I, I don't have it in me to be able to do that. When I approach something that I want to achieve, I mean, I'd love to be able to take that direct route. Generally speaking, my approach is learn everything I can on the first rung before I step into the second rung and stuff that I'm never going to need to know, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I do. It's a, my, my desk is a, a, it's a testament to dilettant. Ism. <laughs> like I am, I am, I am incapable of of maintaining attention long enough to get really good at one thing because I have no interest in one thing, you know. So I don't know how to focus like that. Well, I mean, what, what I've found is, uh, I mean, I can pretend, I can post rationalize it and say it was all part of some clever strategy, but it wasn't. What I've found is taking that really long route to where I've gotten in my career, getting really, like not taking the the direct route and learning so many tangential things along the way, so many, that that's why I can do the job that I have now. 
why I can bring such a great deal of diversity to, to the job. And, and it's also one of the reasons why I love what I do so much is that it's, I, I can have those diverse input, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, I'm, I'm doing mostly I'm working at the moment with, with Cubic and the opportunities in Cubic are so thorough and, as a freelancer, I often struggled with the people trying to box me in and say, look, so are you an animator? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I've worked on a lot of animation work. And says, but I also write code. And says, all right, so you're a software engineer. I'm like, yep, yep, that too. But what about, what's about, this, <laughs> what, what about this electronics thing? I'm like, yep, yeah, I, oh, I do yeah. the phys- physical, physical computing as well. And says, but you run your own company. And says, yep, I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur and like to leadership as well. It's like, but you write books and you're an author. And then I'm like, yep, yep, those, those things, talk at conferences there. And it's like... I'm incomplete if I don't do all of those things, you know, and then I always looking to learn new, learn new things. And it's only, I think now, like in the last sort of five years that I feel those things have all coalesced into a valuable component. Yeah. And it, it, it's really now starting. I mean, yeah, as I said, I, I just turned 50, but it's only now starting to, 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 to take part, to sort of come together to, to be a successful thing. And, and then I, I, and the, the grass is always greener. I, I, uh, I caught back up with, do you know Alex Bethke? He's nope. like brilliantly, brilliantly talented game designer and developer. Um, he's the CTO of Toronto Game Jam, Toto Jam. Okay. And I am a very, actually probably the worst job I've ever had in my life, this company that I, I was awful at it. It's just, you know, sometimes you just don't fit. Like if you asked the people who owned this company, so Hoss worked for you, how was it? They were, they would just said, don't go anywhere near with him. He's a disaster. He's the worst person to work with in the world. And they right. would be right. I, I was the worst fit for their company. It was really, it was just the, the chemistry wasn't there. But the one positive thing to come out of that was that I was able to hire Alex to work on an AR project um, for science centers. And he was, I mean, I'm, I'm a super fan. He still is one of the most wonderfully nice person, first of all, and one of the most supremely talented individuals, brilliant, brilliant programmer. Another mm. one of the instances when I went to meet him for the first time, you know, introduced myself and he did the thing, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, really? That's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored. He was such a lovely, <laughs> lovely guy. Um, but anyway, I, I, I caught up with him for the first time in, you know, a year as often as the case uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, so what, what have you been up to? I mean, what's your path been in the last few years? And he described a path which was success, building on success on top of, you know, not middling success. There's a whole bunch of things that happen, but there is a commonality to the things he's doing and he's building on the things he's done. Right. And I'm like, God, I wish I'd done that. I would have, <laughs> generally I speaking, as soon as, I get, as soon as I get good at something, I'll go and do something completely different. For um, sure. <laughs> and it, it's, it, it's definitely the, the a, a longer, harder route, but now... It might not be the the fastest way to success, but I'm really happy with where it's got me though in in the long run. Well, I think it I think it's a, a satisfying road to success. Uh, you know, also I mean, the interesting thing is, and I've had this conversation plenty of times, I, I, even in the latest episode that we just aired, uh, is what defines success for you. You know, like we we often mistake we mistake certain goalposts as being success. So I need to make this much money. That makes me successful. I need to own this kind of house. That makes me successful. You know, satisfaction in your job, does that make you successful? Who knows? You know what I mean? It's so individual 
There are people who hate their job, but make a ton of money. And in their mind, they're succeeding. Meanwhile, I'm pretty happy in my job. I make an okay living. I love the people I work with. The people I work with are genuinely great people. And I, I couldn't be happier with that. So I would consider that success. So it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to process without taking the individual into account. You know, like what no, no, is? I, I, agree, I agree with you. My, my, the favorite, my favorite uh, conference talk I've ever done is called "Things I Have Learned." My sort of uh, unplugged talk that I did, and one of the things I'd, uh, I'd learned was um, make your own yardstick for success. Yeah, and it's very easy to measure how successful you're being to with somebody else's yardstick, and it's a recipe for disaster. I was very fortunate to have been surrounded by a ton of people like you and, 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 and to always measure myself against all of you award-winning authors and developers. <laughs> and you know, you're not the only one that I knew and it, and it became a thing that I always said that that's why I could never consider myself successful. Even if I had a good job and I had whatever, I didn't have these other things because I always compared myself to the people I knew. Well, the people I know aren't me. And it, it mm, took a yeah. long time for me to pull myself away from it. You're actually one of the, okay, here's where I give you credit. You're actually the one person where I griped about something and you went, why are you comparing yourself to that? Mm. So it really took that comment for me to recognize that in myself as being competitive to, to success. And I do that with every, I used to do that with everyone. And that one comment I give you credit for is the thing that made me stop comparing myself to other people and, and their roads. Like, how can I possibly compare myself to you or compare myself to Robert Hodgen or Eric Natsky or Josh Davis or whomever? You may be my friends, but we're not competing, right? Like, that's just, that's just not how it's working. So it, that that was a very like that was what six years ago <laughs> seven years ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, no, that, I, and that I, really I, turned my head around yeah. it and it took that no I, I i do remember and i mean i have an unfair advantage of and particularly in that front so my entire life i've i have a complete inability to feel jealousy i i've, I've never felt jealousy in my life mm. I, for me it's like being colorblind i understand the concept of it for sure I've never been able to do it in whether it be relationships or whether it be like anything else. And like, and what I have instead is something which um, I turn not everybody's heard of, which is called compersion. So I have very, very strong compersion. And what that, what it means is that I feel the same emotion from other people. So regardless of its direct effect on me. And hmm. so ex examples of that. So like, and actually, it's another it's another slide from my things I've learned talk, which is, you know, find joy in the success of others. And I, the example I have is, you know, it's like, well, you know, I got my first big break in the world of Flash. It was when I got invited to, well, not just it wasn't the world of Flash. It was my first break in my career. Was mm. to invited to talk at the Flash Forward conference in London, sure, um, by Linda Weinman, and you know, and. Linda gave me my first break and we became good friends over, you know, and we'd always enjoy chatting to her at conferences and she owned a store at the time and I owned a BMX shop and we would complain about 
retail and she <laughs> and and you know and when she was said that like, I decided to shut down my store because I want to concentrate a bit more on my um online learning company and I think there's going to be something in that and then you know mm. eventually she sells her learning company to LinkedIn for two billion dollars you know and right. and I know some people were like oh fuck like, I wonder you know people hitting her up for money and stuff and I just felt oh. nothing nothing but unadulterated joy for her you know oh, yeah um yeah, it's it just, it's just, and I've always had that. It's, it's um, just experiencing the joy, reflected joy of other people. Uh, and, and I've never had the, oh, fuck, I wish it was me. I've never had that. Um, <laughs> it, it's, and, and it's, I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I consider it a, a good thing. It's, it's, that, is a, that is a fantastic trait to have. Honestly, that is one of those things that as someone who has been, the worst part is that it's coming from such a place of privilege. And it, like, again, I've had to examine myself in, in that sense. Like, where's all of that coming from? This misplaced sense of, oh, why not me? When, yes, me, that's happened time and again. And it it we it it takes a lot of it takes a lot of introspection to to get past a lot of those things. A lot of those things that that the generic white male <laughs> tends to feel beaten down about that they're not at all beaten down, you know. So it, it it's that was uh, you know again I, I give you a lot of credit for that one comment. And it's funny that it it comes from the place of of a compersion you said yeah, like th that it comes from that where you you just don't feel jealousy mm. it helped me recognize that failing in myself and it allowed me to see it from a different angle and it was so great and it's been amazing yeah. like libs libs got herself a workspace this year so she she finally felt comfortable in the business that she could go and have a rent a space and i have been like pushing her into it and pushing her into it and get like getting her set up and helping build a work table and let's do this and let's do that and it's like, she keeps going, like, I feel bad about going in. I'm like, but that's the space that's going to help you grow your business. And growing mm. your business helps us. And I, I want it to work. Like, let's make this happen, you know? I don't know. It's such a funny, it's such a funny thing. Like, I kind of think she's supported me in, in all of my ridiculousness. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the interesting thing is, like, and it's not just a generic white male thing, but, like, we it can be quite late in life. You'd really start to really discover how we as individuals work. And, you know, like this is, I've had a few like massive realizations really over the last 10 years, you know, for, right. you know, that's, it's fair. Like imagine getting to that point and, and, and working stuff out. Well, you know, not, not suggestion I've worked everything out, but there was a, a few specific things. And, you know, like I did a, what was the book called? A, a book called Strengths Finder. It's a really great book actually looks at, it's like an alternative to the whole Briars Myers Brig thing, you know. Isn't okay. like, yep. And and the, the whole core thing is like what we look when we look to improve ourselves as human beings. We see you find where your failings are, and you try and work on the things that you're not so good at. Right. And it's like, well, there's another way to do it, which is to find the things you're really good at and do more of them. You know, it's, <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's yeah, kind of yeah. smart, you know. And so, you know, I did a couple of their tests and did an online thing, and they analyzed the things to see, you know, what are the things that you're strongest at. 
And I did this, and, and what I found was that I'm, I'm like, I know, I obviously know what my, my biggest strengths are going to be. My biggest strengths are going to be uh, coming up with great ideas, innovation, creativity, mm-hmm. and you know, all those things. That's what, and, and I, I did score highly for that, but that wasn't my highest scoring thing, much to my surprise. So in actual fact, the thing I scored highest for was the ability to spot the correct idea to move forward with the one with the highest probability of success. So in huh. the midst, in the midst of being presented with lots and lots and lots of options without enough data to know what the right thing to do is having in the right insight to move forward with something and being able to, you know, redirect if necessary along the way to, to make that successful. And the strangest thing about that was I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's just something that everybody does, don't they? And I no. don't, <laughs> I, had, I didn't even Sorry know. Sorry to interrupt. No, nope. <laughs> I actually didn't. Not everybody know. does. I didn't know Not it was a does. thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, well, how can you actually just be its own thing? I was like, well, you know, it's like, well, no, you do. It. So what I realized, and then I started looking at in the past, and they, she'll go into a room, and then your ad agency I'm working in, wherever it is, and a whole bunch of ideas come up. And obviously, I'm convinced my ideas are the best. But looking back, I actually, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being jokely arrogant I'm not really that arrogant but what I did realize was that I played quite a big role in the successful idea in most instances right. not because it was my idea but because what I found when there's the hundred ideas that have come up able to sort of narrow and focus to seeing oh these are the ones that are going to work yeah yeah <laughs> you know it, it's funny we, we because this podcast all started about started on the premise of ideas and 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 how you know as people that want to produce whatever you you find that moment of i'm just going to stop doing this so that the whole premise was that we we had all these ideas that didn't go anywhere couldn't mm-hmm. sell and uh i have now had a conver- i've had all these conversations this has been going for two and a half years and in those conversations the number of people that i bring on specifically because i'm inspired by them you you included it, they talk from the point of view of everybody's like this nope not everybody's like this. Not everybody has ideas. Not everybody is inspired by things like that. Not, you know, some people just get up, they go to work and they go to bed. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think of myself as like this hugely distracted human being with just nothing but things coming out of my brain that I want to get down. I'm constantly writing documents specifically about this project or that project that doesn't exist yet. And that's, that's, that's a rare thing. So, you know, for you to be able to say, like, if you had 20 things in front of you and six of them were yours, you could still look at those 20 things and go, you know what? Number seven's the right way. You know what I mean? That is it. That is a very rare skill. And mm-hmm. it, it, it is. It, it's funny to hear you go like, I was surprised mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because you don't, don't recognize it in yourself. Right. Like you don't recognize it as a thing that you do until someone goes like, hey, by the way, do you know that you do this? You know? and another one of those realizations was was you know I, I have this massive insecurity around not finishing stuff like starting stuff and not finishing it and i know that For this sure. is a common theme with like many creative people and actually in doing my homework for um coming on to your show i was like you know what? i'm gonna i've heard a couple of your shows uh i'm gonna pick one from somebody that i've never heard of before and listen to because I, I listen to the obvious ones like people i know that are friends and i'm like this sure, be, yeah like no i'm gonna listen to somebody i've never heard of before in an area i don't know very much about so i chose like i don't know much about photographer photography i'm gonna listen to this guy david bastido oh, uh, yeah, and okay. And, and and I listened, I listened to it, and a couple of things happened. First of all, I realized about five minutes, and I'm like, 
Oh, I know David. <laughs> I was going to say, there's no way you don't. <laughs> I'm like, totally. And then like, I remember like, um, I had a great chat there. I sat opposite him, uh, uh, Ryan Rychuk Stag. We were out for dinner. And it's funny because he's talking about how he doesn't have expensive habits. And it was um, on your show. But at the, at the right. night, he was telling about him and his wife's penchant for champagne and how they love expensive <laughs> I'm like, you lying bastard. It um, doesn't have to be expensive champagne to be champagne. <laughs> and it was like, no, it's like, first of all, that was a great show. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. A lovely, lovely Oh, yeah. Man. I'm a, thank like, you. Yeah, like he's great, and it was a great, it was a great interview as well. On his and behalf, thank you. It, it, <laughs> no, but like in your, your interview, I, I, God, I'm going to, I'm going to digress a bit here. But I remember when, when I met him, and we're sitting, just I met a bunch of guys, and on this stag dinner type thing, and right. he's just another random guy I've never met before. I'm, I'm, I'm chatting to him, and then he was telling me about his background, and he was always in photography, you know, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right, and, um. He, you know, he's done shot some bands and there's a secret. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And I have to understand, I didn't grow up in Canada. And so I'm relatively yeah. fresh, you know, and I wasn't fresh off the board. I've been here for a few years at this time. And he was talked about how, you know, like um, this, you know, a lot of it was shooting the hip, you know. And I actually thought he was saying he was shooting from the from hip. From the hip. Right. <laughs> and shooting low. We, we had a conversation, this conversation, and it was about 10 minutes into the chat before I'm like, I don't think we're talking about the same hip. Like, I'm like, what do you mean by the hip? And he's like, well, the band. I'm like, uh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there's, a, there's a band called The Hip. He's like, well, no, they're called, tragically, they're like, Oh, I think I've heard of them. You know, I can't name oh their music. Right? That's completely. <laughs> well, every Canadian that's listening to this is going, oh my God. I know. I, I have so many of these things where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, there's lots of stuff I don't know. I, I know it's a good call back to another episode. So that's good. <laughs> I, no, it, it, but another thing that stood out of that interview was he, he, he mentioned how he has lots of projects which he hasn't finished, you know, and yep. I, I, I'm the same. There's so many things that I'm, I'm really good at starting stuff. But not very good at pushing it across the finish line, and that extends also to my professional career, not just like personal projects I've taken on. And again, it's like it's something like I really need to fix that. I really, I just need to be more diligent. I need to either work harder, or I need to like fundamentally change something about myself to be able to do that. And then I realize, and then I realize, wait a minute, like see the starting things bit. There's a whole lot of people who've got no idea how to do that. And no idea how yep. to get that magical. And there's actually more people who are really good at taking the thing that's got past the start line and finishing that. And so I'm really fortunate to have sort of realized that and stop beating myself up about it and realize that, you know, the bit I do is they're working out what we're all going to do, working out, you know, you know, I'm mostly a sales guy these days. And, and, and when you're a maker, the idea of being a sales guy, it's a dirty word because it sounds like you're somebody that persuades somebody to buy something that they might not need. That's the idea for me and me of a, what a salesman is, right? <laughs> and that's why I've always, and also I have this thing where I can't remember, I have a uh, colorblind people's names. I can never remember anyone's names. Um, I just I just don't remember names, and I'm, I remember reading that if you're to be a good salesman, you need to be able to remember. Hey, Hugh, how you doing? I remember people's right. names, and I, I, you know, it's even in like um, Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Number one thing: remember people's names and use their remember names. Their people names. like to hear their, their own names. Well, I'm fucked because I can't remember anybody's names. Mm-hmm. And then it's only relatively recently, well, actually, no, over the last like, 10, 15 years, 
I realized that selling something I love, I really love, and it's not a dirty, shameful thing. What selling when it's successful is, is like, is meeting people who have a problem to be solved and finding the thing that's going to solve their problem. And yeah. if you have the thing or capable of making the thing that's going to solve their problem, then you you do that. But in order to do that, you need to understand, you know, if you're just selling widgets and somebody needs that widget and you have that widget, then you can do that. that that's that's not the business we're in. The business we're in is, you know, and I regularly meet with people, you know, very high up in either the marketing divisions or, you know, C-suite people in an organization, and they'll share their high level challenges of what they're trying to do. And because I'm somebody that spent most of my life at the cool face, I'm like, Oh, actually, if we do this, this, and this, then we could do that instead. And like, yeah. Oh, but my IT people never mentioned that. And I'm like, well, your IT people are probably not the right people to be doing this type of stuff. Your IT people do something else. I'm like, but they do the computers and things. And then so you, what you realize, you start to see fundamental breakdowns and and and, and blockers in the road to innovation in organizations. Right. And, and so yep. that, and and so realizing that and realizing that having that skill of being able to listen to somebody talk about their organization or their charity or whatever the thing is or what their what their, their goals and objectives are and being able to distill that and maybe in a slightly more um acute manner and see where the opportunity is to solve it and often that is actually look i know a guy you should speak to i do lots of that lots and lots of that uh, <laughs> because i would much rather the right person did the thing instead of me doing it for the sake of doing it, because then you end up in that situation yeah. where you're doing something that you're not necessarily going to succeed at and you'll, you'll hate. Yeah. And uh, it, it, the interesting thing, it, the, the, the result of that is twofold. One, you become a person who can create a valuable recommendation. So you gave them the name of somebody that would do that job handily and, and well Two, you become a, you know, of, of value to the person you made the recommendation to so that they become someone who, who sees you as a loyal friend, you know, that, that, well, thanks, thanks for thinking yep. of me. And, it, it, and, and that creates an interesting relationship bond with both the client and the contractor, which is, it's a weird way mm. to say it, but it is, yep. it's a thing that I do a lot where when I was contracting when I was freelancing, I would say, you know what, that's not really my gig but I know a person who can do it, you yeah. know? And, and whenever I sent them to somebody, I would email that person or text them or call whatever, never call. I don't call anybody, but mm. I'd message them directly and say, Hey, by the way, I'm sending you these people. This is the breakdown of what the introduction is. And, and honestly, I, I can't do it, but I think you could. And I, I remember sending you somebody yeah, you, and you, you came yeah, back right, yeah. and you, and you'd said, do you, do you vouch for them? And I said, I don't vouch for them because I don't know them, but this yeah. is the project. And if you don't like it, don't do it. Yeah, they have yeah. no expectations. But you know, that it was it was an interesting that was an interesting back and forth yeah. between you and I, where if I had said yes, I vouch for them, and that didn't go right, that would have affected how you viewed my recommendations from then on. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. In that instance, I mean, I'm like, well, these guys, they maybe don't have their shit together. But if you're prepared to say no, they're they're good. Then I would have like given yeah. them the benefit of the doubt. So yeah, I mean the, the the project never went ahead anyway. So they, but you know no, but it, it it set the precedent between you and I that I was never gonna I was never gonna lie to you when yeah. it came to projects or people. You know. So so uh, give me your opinion about about this. You this is the the flip sure. side of that is where there are people 
who make their living by getting commission from recommend those those kind of same recommendations. Sure. And so in and I've got to know this quite significantly in my position in Cubic, where I'll have a company come in and present to me a technology that's not their technology. And yeah. what their consultants that are connected to the hottest new thing and they'll present this thing and, and a couple of times it's been really good actually. And then and I'll and I'll say, right, so tell me about this and tell me how that works. And they they don't know. Yeah, beyond so, this the beyond the spiel, they won't yeah, know. And so they'll then get the company on the line and we'll do have the conversation. I've now got a direct line. And and ultimately they're just getting their fifteen percent for, for the introduction kind of thing. You know, and, yeah. and I mean ultimately that's not again, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but there is an example where, you know, if I look at yeah, if I look at the last ten years, the amount of work that or nine years probably, the amount of work I've referred to wrangle, for example, I, I've I've referred many many hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work to wrangle, sure. because they're really really good developers when you're optimizing for quality and speed, right. and they are just really great at what they do. I like them as an organization. I like the owners of the company as well. And as a result, when I've got people who come to me and say, look, have you got a recommendation for this thing? And my first question is, well, what are you optimizing for? If you're optimizing for price, then it's one thing. If you're optimizing for quality and speed, then and, right. and I'll just, and I'll send them to wrangle. And, and as a result, and but it is in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, there is a, type of person that would have taken that and gone to wrangle and said, right, I want 10% in exchange for doing that yeah. thing. And, and, and I, yeah. I don't, I'm not wired that I don't have it in me, me neither. To do that. I'm not like that. <laughs> I know I'm not. And it's funny. Like I I've been now it, because of the, the networking event I was running the number of times I've been approached by staffing agencies that, that have said like, you know, if, if we get anybody, you'll get a, you'll get some kind of mm. whatever you call it, like a kickback or yeah. whatever. And I'm a commission. And I'm always like, right. well, I don't want to, I don't want a commission. I want you to hire somebody. Like I, like I, I don't need the money. I mean, everybody could use more of it, yeah, yeah, but I don't yeah. need that money. So I don't, I'm not, my life is not that thing. So no, I don't want it. And I, and I, I, I find it in, in, from the way I work, I don't ever want to feel like someone is beholden to me for that thing. You know, like there's no way I don't, I, it's just not in my he- mindset. Yeah. I do have a, I do have a question and I know that we've, we've done a really good job of just letting our head of steam guide us. You as a, as a, as a, with a degree in architecture, then gra- then working in graphic design and then working in development, um, that's sort of an interesting path that then leads you to physical computing and leads you to building experiences. And now, and now what you're doing, have you, have, have you been veering back to development at all? Or, you know, are you, are you sticking to real world experiential stuff? Or are you, are you seeing some kind of meld between the two or? Yeah. I mean, so, so, so my sort of getting my hands dirty side of things is twofold at the moment. One of which is, I'll do my due diligence to help work out what the best solution is to provide for a client. And it's that whole thing that client wants to achieve this Mm -hmm. thing. And I mean, at the moment, you know, as I said, most of my works um, work with Cubic and most of our clients are in the events industry. And 
funnily enough, events are kind of down at the moment. <laughs> and yeah. But they still have budget and they're still looking to market to their clients and they're still to sell to clients and their customers still have money to buy their things. They just don't have face-to-face events anymore. Right. And I joined Cubic at a point where I'm like, well, I, I am a, a technologist and I need to learn about the events industry. I know a little bit about it, but I really need to learn about it. And Cubic's a company where you know, we just had a, a town hall where somebody got their, uh, service award for having worked for the company for 35 years. It's like a company where people don't leave. Um, I interviewed people, wow. people when I, when I, when I joined the company and I had a couple of people say, look, it's not a cult. Just, just to be clear with you, it's not, a <laughs> cult, but nobody leaves, you know, and uh, it's just, uh, uh, it, that's a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody has to tell you it's not a cult, it's probably a cult. <laughs> but in actual fact, it's just, it's a company that, you know, gives people the autonomy to like their jobs, pays them well. And right. Nobody has to work long hours, you know, it's the, you know, like the, the magic trifecta there. Yeah. And, 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 so I spent a few months really trying to level up on my knowledge of the events industry. And then COVID turns the world upside down. And you've now got um, a whole bunch of events professionals trying to learn about the software world. And yep. they're all trying to learn about technology. And they're all trying to buy software um, and don't really know how to go about it. So I actually found myself in a really very fortunate sweet spot to that. But I'm being asked for stuff which I don't, some of it's like, because they're not, software professional or technology professionals and they the, the have no experience of buying technology for sure they'll ask they'll ask for something and i'm like wow i've never thought about that before and it's kind of a might be a good idea and it's kind of interesting some of the stuff that comes my way but i'll need to go and i'm like well i guess if we use this system and connected it by an api to this and through to that and i'll do my own due diligence on that um right i am in the process of interviewing for a, a technical director at the moment because i need somebody to do more of that and take some of that off my plate. We've got enough that I need that, that to be done. Um, Haas, I can't, I pre listen, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I can't take that role. I I know this is not how I I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm very flattered. <laughs> Actually, but I went, I, I, went, I went through my, my list of people to contact you were on there, and I'm like, but I low, will, low, it was low. Actually, no, you, you, no, I've you, talked to, I've talked to everybody. No, I, I, I was more worried about um, think, thinking box chasing me down with a big stick and, and yeah, Christine, yeah, Christine yeah. would get your address and she just beat you the, yeah, to, yeah. to death. I like Christine. I think she's great, and I and I, and I definitely don't want to piss her off in that front. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, They've been so, stupendous. So you're so, looking for a TD. So it's, yeah, I'm, and part of that role is like I don't have a dev team, but we work with external vendors. But right. So, but what I'm, I, the stuff I am doing is getting my hands dirty to work at what can be done and going deep into that, so that when I have those meetings, I, I'm not having to go to a third part, some company, and have a sales guy say, "Well, let me get back to you once I've spoken to the yep. team." Yeah, yeah. You never want to look. You, you like it's. It's so difficult. Like as a, in a lot of in a lot of client meetings, I am the technical lead, right? They, this is mm. our creative technologist. This is you, our senior creative technologist. And it's always one of those like they go, "He's our technical guru," and I'm always like, "Okay," <laughs> you know. And it, it luckily I'm never brought into meetings where I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, it that that moment of. You know, like you take that deep breath, like, okay, let's start this meeting and, and I'm going to know, like, are you, are you investing time in, um, 
you know, it's funny because we, we just interviewed Galit Ariel, who's a huge AR person, and I'm working a lot with AR filters for clients because, you know, experiential is not active. So we're doing all this other stuff. And augmented reality is actually huge, 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 huge when it comes to communication. So are you are you investing any time and effort into AR recently? Um, yeah, I, I am both on a, a personal and a, a professional front. So I, I mentioned like two companies I work most with, most with, yeah. um, as their CTO um, is Cubic and Property Platform, and both have big opportunities working with an AR. And as a result of doing so much commissioning AR, and that's looking to do stuff um, in that field, that I've actually started tinkering with a view to, you know. I, I, I miss getting the dirt under my nails. And yeah. so I've actually been working on a personal project where I actually I'm going to re- resurrect the old H69 website. Mm. Um, I put an animation up in H69 way back in the day, which was uh, I had these grand visions of creating a character-based narrative, which was loosely based around some sort of time travel element. Uh, I'm a massive fan of any narrative that has any sort of playing with time to it and sure. large and I did this animation which was a it was a 3D animation of a young girl with a bald head because I didn't know how to animate hair um, <laughs> standing superimposed on this really sort of shitty underpass in, in Glasgow so it was like superimposed on top of this grimy dirty thing which looked particularly grimy and dirty because I didn't have any lighting to do it and Glasgow's right. dark Glasgow's dark for six months pretty much and the video camera I had was shit as well. So again, you work with what you've got and it was just kind of a very muted colours, sort of grungy type thing. And I'm like, well, I need to add something else to the scene. So, uh, well, the easiest thing, I'll, I'll add some primitives. So I did these like eight balls in front of the spheres just sitting on the ground and it was just an animation that moved backwards and forward with a really beautiful piece of music by Kuzuli, um there that they very generously let me put on the piece. Hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where I just put up there and it, as a, it was a technical test. And then I was going to build this whole thing out where you interact with her, you ask questions. And she, I like the idea of a young female character being really bold and dominant as, as the heroine in the story and actually saying like, I know and that, that you, what she was going to tell you was that I'm going to die. Right. And you've got to help her from dying. And she's seen into the future where she can see herself being knocked over by a truck. And you get this really violent animation of that actually happening, kind of shocking stuff. And the idea is with a, through a bunch of interactive games or tools or whatever it was going to be, you managed to, because she's in a tower overlooking herself getting knocked down in a time travel way. She, she, you're eventually unlock a door so she can run out to rescue herself. And it's her running out the door that distracted the truck that caused the truck to cut herself. That it's, it's a bit cliched now I think about it, but um, that- <laughs> <laughs> anytime you have to explain the entire scenario, you go, Oh, well, right. The re- the yeah, I've seen in, that. Into detail, but that is that, um, Recently, because there's a convergence of things. One is the AR is so available now, like um, the the whole WebXR thing. And in particular, we're doing our deployments using Eighth Wall. I don't know if you've come across it. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh It's fantastic. And also, especially because Eighth Wall, I mean, the the two biggest things for me about Eighth Wall are the fact that they have in WebAR, they've got SLAM. Um, so that you don't need to have a target. And yeah. the slam tracking can be initiated by a marker as well, or an image, some some kind of uh, marker. So what you can have is phys- um, precise located slam targets. So you can have um, walk up to one thing, 
point your phone and it triggers the animation and then something over here happens in exactly where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So we're doing, doing a whole bunch of stuff like that. And then just two weeks ago, they launched a really nice little uh, bit of code which takes the what the camera can see and uses it as environmental lighting and reflections. So when you put okay. your hand down the side of something in real time, you get to see those reflections. Really, really lovely. So you've got the combination of that. And then, you know, I've, as I said, I like to I like narratives with with that play with time. So I, I I watched the German TV show Dark. I don't know if you've come across that. It's oh, magnificent. It's, it's really on Netflix, good. right? Yeah. yeah. It's 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 so good. And what it did is it takes an actual fact that idea that I just talked about, hmm. and it's the hello world of that series. It then right. extrapolates it through beautifully considered writing to like a hundred times as complex and interesting and convoluted and playful. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like if I was really clever, this is what my thing might've turned into. Um, so a combination of, there's a combination of things that have happened. It's now easier to do that than it ever was um, right. to actually the means of production, the animation is easy to get a hold of. I can deploy it more easily. And I'm going to make this, so the new H69 is going to be a completely AR based experience where you, right speak to and listen to this character um, and this character does something related to say, I have a much more convoluted script now and I'm stealing the hell out of dark. And um, another really good with the invisible life of Adi LaRue, a wonderful, wonderful book uh, by Schwab where it's about somebody who does a deal with the devil and gets to live forever. But the, the deal is that nobody can remember her beyond that flight first hour of meeting her. And so there's a whole, you know, really, 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 yeah, it's a really so these high concept, strong idea type thing. So, but what it has meant is really getting in about it. And I have I'm trying to take the DHH approach, and my inclination is right. I need to know everything there is to know about a frame. I need to know everything there is to know about three JS. I need to know everything is about this motion capture technique that I'm using. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to take the route of saying. The purpose of this is not for me to learn all of those skills. In this instance, the purpose of this is for me to create a narrative. Yeah. And 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 I'm and, and I'm trying. It's hard. It's hard. But what I'm trying to do is learn just enough about each of the skills required to make it happen and right. try not to be embarrassed about the fact that I cut corners on the way to getting there. It is it is a uh, uh, there's two things. <laughs> One is I want to I want to tell the listeners what SLAM is. SLAM stands for simultaneous localization and mapping. It allows for a marker to be an indicator for where something is. So when when in in, in augmented reality, when you see a, a marker, that thing tells the program exactly what angle that that thing exists and and allows them to project their their. Um, their program onto it so that's i just i needed to say that because when you said yeah. slam 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 i was like oh well yeah there are i mean people who are like slam what is slam <laughs> well, well, so, well here's the thing it's, it's a, so the web ar has democratized the distribution of ar so you don't need to install an app and that's a massive thing that's a really really big deal and but the catch is you it was still uh marker based yeah 
and you have to have the marker in front of you. And as soon as your camera moves and clips the marker, slight, the camera moves slightly out of the frame, it breaks the illusion and it stops working. Yep. So <clears throat> Slam allows you to not have any marker and you can move your camera wherever you want. You can walk all the way around and it allows you to, for example, be inside of a space as well. It's, it's some, and so it, it has some real creative opportunities and interesting things within that. It's a, it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal. I, I actually think that, you know, if I, if I had to pick my hottest new tech for, um, the next couple of years, I, I wouldn't choose VR. I, I actually, I, I would choose oh, um, no. where they are. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So the other, the other thing is, and and don't don't get me don't get me wrong here. So what what I what what's happened with um, Thinking Box, and when we went into lockdown, was I was told very pointedly that that one of the things they really liked about me was I had a bunch of ideas, and then when when push came to shove in brainstorms i could come up with 20 things you know that this this is this may not be the answer but these are 20 things that could be done and and it, they really liked that about me and don't stop doing that so what i ended up doing was i spent time every week i came up with a new thing and i would write it out and this this is start to finish this is what the project i usually had a name for it that always was like camel cased and mm. oh this is the whatever it is so I started a document that that um, Christine had dubbed the fidgetal, fidgetal projects. I hate so digital that fidgetal. I hate that oh, listen, so I'm not. I, I you can hate it as much as you want. I'm not. They pay me, so they want to call it fidgetal. I, I'm fine with that. Christine, so, if you ever listen to this, please, 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 please stop using it. There's a docket. I get to put hours on it. I'm not complaining. So. They, so so I, what I've done is I, I this document is a living document. So essentially, I write this is the title. It's a it's a link down into the next page, and the next page is the description of the thing. And we have now been able to use that as a way to pitch, saying like these don't exist, these things don't exist. But client A, if you like this, we can build it, and this is the plan behind it. So it is really interesting in that. Um, I've dedicated time over the past year into creating projects that don't exist. And I mean, the latest one is the meeting controller that everybody's doing with the HID keyboard Arduino that you use an arcade button, right? So I'm like, I'm going to open source that and just say, if you have these parts, you can build it. Because I think one of the things that, that is lacking is, is the transparency of information that we used to have. Do you know what I mean? Like one of the things that was so gratifying about being a flash developer was people did their job. They got paid to do it and they told everybody that they knew how they did it. Like there was very little mystery after the fact. Once the, once the thing was done, people were very open about what they did and how they did it. So if they cut corners or if they did something that they're like, you know what? I really just had to get to point C. So I skipped point B and just, you know, hopped it and that's one of the things like listening to you i'm like that's still that kind of mentality of yeah. i just got to get there yeah i mean an inspiration for me on this of the, the just got to get there is um another like one of my heroes is jared tarbell um yeah and first time i met jared was he turned up in toronto for fitc and I was over from Glasgow for this and he was crashing. Uh, he was staying the night at Colin's house. And we're all kind of excited to meet this guy because he'd done this multi-user drawing app. I don't yeah. know if you remember the multi-user drawing do. app. And 
it wonderfully, it, it had a swastikok stamp. Do you remember that? Now I don't. <laughs> so, so it's a multi-user drawing tool. And what his thing was, it says, as soon as somebody can draw on a screen and other people can see it, two things happen. People draw cocks and people right. draw swastikas. Right. And once, once they get it out of their system, then they start drawing. But there's this a particular type of person, and there's a lot of them, have a tendency to, like, that's what they draw first. So you do get a lot of those. So you actually created a swastikok stamp. So it was a swastika with cocks on the end of it. You can use it to stamp it around the screen, and then that's it out of your system, and you can get on with actually some drawing. Oh, so partly God. there was that sense of humor and a really beautifully made uh, multi-user drawing app. And nobody had really mm -hmm. done anything like that at the time. It was really early, and we were really amazed. So I, I met him, and... We we're sitting down and Colin was going to do some uh, a workshop or something at FITC. And I'm like, Are you, I'm, I'm going to go to that and learn about using the the, the multi-user server, Colin and Mate. Right. And I'm like, Unity, right? Yeah, Unity, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why are you going to that? I mean, like, you made the multi-user uh, drawing app. Like, you're going to know all the things. And he's like, I don't know any of the things. It's like, I just followed the tutorial and <laughs> took the source codes and search and replace the things I needed to just enough to get it working with my drawing app. I don't right. really know how it works, but I know enough to get it up and running. And I'm like, wow, I can't do that. I need to know who the sausage is made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. What's amazing. Like, so, so Jared is obviously a huge inspiration. Levitated.net was a, he's relaunched it actually, which is, which yep. has been fantastic to watch, but he, he dropped out. So, so completely right mm -hmm. like he just kind of went i'm not doing this right now i'm going to focus on albuquerque i'm going to focus yep. on this this other stuff um it's it's it was you know to, he w really was just a massive inspiration so like he was a computer like a scientist and yep. and and had this background so it's really funny to hear him go like no, I don't. I don't know that because <laughs> he's. He, I, I, I'm putting a whole voice that isn't him because he has such a gentle. Oh, he does. You know. Actually, I don't he, know. I don't know that. You know, like it's. He recorded a voiceover for an animation once for me, and another animation I didn't complete, um, and it's just lovely. And um, uh, his wife, Lady Le Lady Levitators, as well. Um, uh, she did some really nice voiceover as well. And they're two, they're, they're, it's really lovely. You couldn't want to meet a couple of nicer people. And I remember like that first ever one, um, that FITC, he didn't even have a ticket for FITC. And right. so, but he just turned up to meet the community. He didn't have a place to stay. And he, <laughs> he I think he got the train or something like that from New Mexico to Toronto or something. something right. like, he didn't have enough money for a flight because you know, he was broke. And right. Pre Etsy, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, and, and we were chatting, and I'm like, "Look, I'm," because I was also staying at Collins initially, and I said, like, "Well, I'm about to move into like, like Sean gives me a nice hotel room in this place, and like, let's get a cop put in the hotel room, and we'll get two keys and just stay in my hotel room." Um, right. And he was like, "Yeah, well, let's do that," and I'm like, "Oh, let me guess, you've not got a ticket for the conference either," and he's like. Oh. <laughs> so, I actually, I didn't know. Sean gave him your pass. <laughs> Sean, if, if, if you're if you're listening to this, Sean, close your ears now. Um, Chances are not so, good. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I actually gave him my FITC pass and said, yeah. just, just wear it back to front and just walking out because yeah. I can, I can kind of get away with walking in without a pass and just smile at everybody. And yeah. so we, we did that. And that's how we got into the conference. And, and then afterwards, he said a bunch of people got in touch with him and said, look, uh, we want you to help us um, build this thing that's like eBay for stuff people make by themselves. And he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's really for me. And then they came back to him afterwards and said, we'll give you a bit of the company. And I went, oh, okay, I guess so. And uh, it, became, it became Etsy. Yeah. <laughs> you know it, it, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I'm, 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 I really, really am a super fan. We were in, I think, you know, in that dinner in, uh, in Minneapolis. When there, was oh. a dinner, there was a dinner in Brighton a few years later where um, he'd, come back out the woodwork because he'd been had his head down with all that stuff and yeah we're all out for dinner and it came to you know the bit where you split the bill in uh, between the the 16 people around the table and he stood up and produced his etsy credit card and it was a lovely tearful moment where it's like yeah i i'm able to get this now so he, yeah. he did that in minneapolis as well actually at flash belt he he just sort of went like because laurie's sitting next to him and he, he just sort of went I, i'm gonna take care of you know like this and <laughs> it was like this super like quiet thing he did and, and i remember going like etsy money eh <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, that's another one i mentioned earlier about my you know the the compar- compersion thing you know so i i got my big compersion when uh linda sold uh, the company to linkedin for two billion and the other one was when jared you know went from where he was into doing the etsy thing and oh and, and, yeah and, and I, and I'm like, yeah, just like it just brings me so much joy that such a phenomenally nice person, just a genuinely good, nice person can do yeah. so well. And it, but one of the things that, that drops off as we as we sort of get older is the is is not necessarily an exploration on behalf of the our, our employers. We explore all all avenues on behalf of our employers. But due to the level of energy we can expand on the rest of our day, we tend to start to not explore on behalf of ourselves. Would you, would you say that that's sort of an accurate take on things? There's a very, on my work, there's a very clear correlation, which I'm trying to break out of where the quality of my personal creativity and also the quantity of outputs of my personal creativity is inversely correlated to how well I'm doing in my professional life. So that whenever I've like found myself professionally going like, fuck this, I don't like this. <laughs> um, I turn to the solace of personal creation. And yeah. when things are going exceptionally well, it, it's, it's, I, I'm tending not to. Now I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I, where it's going well. I'm, I'm, I love it. I really love it. I love the people I get to work with. Um, I've got such great clients as well. It's just, it just, I'm in a sweet spot and I know it might not last forever. So it's like a, um, another, other thing I've always been good at is, is noticing quite often it can be like, it's only when you look back, realize, well, that was the time in my life. I didn't know at the time, but that was my time. <laughs> in my life. I'm, I'm quite good at spotting like, Oh, actually this might be the time in my life. This is, you know, cause I've definitely had over the last few years, at the point where I'm having the most fulfillment and fun that I've ever had in my life ever. Right. And, and, and to be, most people don't realize in the moment, but in the moment I'm, I'm very consciously, very consciously aware of that. And when you're so fulfilled in your work life and for, sorry, when I'm so fulfilled in my life, in the past, what I've done is I've not really done much personal creative work. And yeah. which is one of the reasons why I'm 
trying to break out of that mold and and trying right now to focus on it's a number of things. It's like it's it's learning from that instead of doing lots of different things starting to narrow the focus of things. So there's a whole bunch of webinar um, work being done uh, in my professional life. So, well, let's build on top of that rather than doing something completely different yeah. in, in uh, my, my personal work as well. So, so I think the, 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 there's a, there's a bit of that. Um, yeah. I think the other thing is, and I, I'm not convinced whether this, I don't know whether this is just because I'm getting old, um, I don't think it is because I, I genuinely feel like I'm 27 inside. Um, I'm just 50 on the outside. But I get to, <laughs> I, <laughs> I get to the end of a day and I'm fucked. Yeah. I'm absolutely, totally knackered. And when I say the end of a day, I mean like six o'clock at night. And, yeah. and, and I'm generally speaking now, my first meeting at eight o'clock in the morning. So it's not a short work day by any means. And I, and yeah. I, and, but I'm like, I have peers where like Colin, for example, Colin still does a standard 14 hour day writing coat. Um, right. Six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. And I'm now where I'll do myself a 10 hour day in meetings. And part of it is the context switching. So I'll do, you know, maybe, maybe 10 half hour meetings in that where I'll, like I found myself, just like this week, I did a presentation to a head of innovation for HP, mm-hmm. um, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's like, it's all big level, intense, wonderful conversation, really, really fascinating. And then I'll be like, look, my time's running out here. I need to go on to my next meeting because I'm then meeting with um, the head of retail for uh, Samsung. Right. And then I'll go from the head of retail for Samsung to working on the pitch for Panasonic. And then for, and then you're like, it, it's, it's not like one of them's, such a big superstar that you can like drop the little ones. There are no little fish in, 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 in this. Yeah. And when you do that context switching and you're having to jump from, because these are all kind of like in my head, like, like, well, I'm, I'm working for Philips, Panasonic's HP and Samsung. They're all clients at the moment. Yeah. And they kind of, easy to merge them kind of in your head and forget what you're doing for each one and doing the thing. And because when you're doing like one meeting to the other meeting, so I have to like, I, I now have this thing where if somebody sends me a meeting request and it doesn't have an agenda in the meeting request, it automatically gets rejected. It just, right. I, I, it's an automatic send back. And I actually have this message that in it that says, um, no agenda, no the, agenda, the, no has. Yeah, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I know this is funny. I'm, I'm going to read you what the actual the automatic response text is. So the automatic text that people get back is so passive aggressive. It says to increase the time I have available for meetings with you, my calendar automatically declines meetings that don't have an agenda. Is it possible that you forgot to add an agenda? And then. <laughs> And then it says, here's a great guide to creating the perfect meeting agenda. And it links to a Forbes article. And oh, then, and then, no. And then the next thing I get, oh, I'll get an email from somebody saying, oh, my meeting request got rejected. Did you read my response? And, 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 and I'm like, really? What did the response say? It says, it says it got rejected because it didn't have an agenda. I'm like, did it have an agenda? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Like, 
read the words. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the other reason that you're probably <clears throat> tired at the end of at the end of the day, where where you're you're going from one client to another, and the context switching that is important. But but a lot of it is the show. A lot of it is you need to be on and you need to be present and you need to be aware. And you need to be communicative and 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 and. and and thinking about them. So like, yes, you're context switching, but you're also putting on a show for them of attentiveness and of, you know, it, do you find, do you find that you, I'm sure you don't have a lot of control over whether or not you have a break in between meetings that, that so you can, you can switch that mindset, but do you find, um, are you putting more of an effort into doing that for yourself? Yeah, I have to. I mean, I, I, I got to the point where just when COVID got really intense and really into lockdown and enough for clients to realize that actually, do you know what? We're not going to have face events, face events coming back anytime soon. And mm-hmm. so all of, all of a sudden people who have been trying to get meetings with, <clears throat> we're all now trying to get meetings with me. Right. And when you let the meetings roll <laughs> in and they're often, you know, half an hour at a time, and there's not enough time to go for a pee. You're, the meetings will go because you, you. I can only give half an hour to a lot of people. They'll go right to the wire. Yeah. And this is a story for your um, your podcast, which I, I'm I'm intrigued to know whether this will make it or whether this will be edited. <laughs> I'm going to tell that's you. A, anyway. That's the way to preface. <laughs> that's the way to preface the story. <laughs> hey, you! How big are your balls? <laughs> so well, we're. We're recording this right now on, on we're on Zoom, and so That's you, correct. this doesn't obviously translate over to the the podcast. But we're looking at each other and each other's cameras. So yep. you know, I've got a camera that's kind of zoomed into me, and you don't see below my chest effectively. And I had a meeting where I'm like, I can't get to the end of this meeting, and I have another one straight after it. And so what you're not seeing is me reaching out and taking the empty glass, putting the empty glass under the table. And during the meeting, With maybe the see, muted. people make mic <laughs> muted. I'm hoping I was trying. I was looking at myself in the camera, thinking, "Am I giving this away?" I hope they don't see anything in my eye. The, the relief in my eyes, and I peed in the glass, and then took the glass without making the glass put it back on the table, pushed it to the other end of the table. I knew I didn't have enough time. I didn't have time to go for That's a pee. Amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Slosh it. That's like a long haul trucker move, man. That's not like, that's incredible. But when that happened, and I told Jen about this later in the day, she says, you need to start putting piss breaks in your calendar. Buffers. Yeah. It's a, you know, we've had a, we've had a number of discussions within thinking box where we're, we're mostly a producer led company. So producers like to have a lot of meetings. They'd like to have a lot of communication. And I've, I've now run a foul of that often because developers don't developers like to send a status and go, here's where we are. And the other aspect of that is that we have uh, offices in multiple time zones. So we have one office in Vancouver, one in Salt Lake city, uh, New York and LA, but, you know, the West Coast people start three hours after we do. So for them, their nine o'clock meeting is cutting my day in half, right? So, uh, you know, I st- at, at 1230, I have to stop, not get my lunch, and then have a meeting where they want to talk about the thing that they're just about to start doing that I've been doing for three hours. You know, uh, the t- t- time zone is a killer. I, when I when I worked in New York, 
um, my biggest client was in Singapore, okay. which is a 12, a 12 hour time difference. That's a real killer. We actually just won a job um, for, we won Mamaki, who are a large format printer company and they do like 3D printers and stuff. Really good company, very global, but their head office is in Tokyo. Okay. And all of our pitch presentations have been at 4 a.m. And oh my God. it's a really difficult time because you it's not like you're going to wake up early for it. Mm-hmm. I think, what, what do you do? You wake up early for it or do you stay up late stay for up. it? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I mean, some people are like, well, I'd rather oh, just go to bed not, at nine and get up early. Not just that. How do you work your day before you know you have a 4 a.m. pitch? Because mm. everybody that you work with still needs your day. Mm. So do you do you say like look I'm I'm going to book off 8 hours before this 4 a.m. pitch so I can yep. have a 6 hour sleep which I desperately need so I can be on yep. oh, so but probably <laughs> not <laughs> I mean they the, the, the are few and far between I mean the the, the times those I have most activity with are actually uh, other than Eastern, is mm. Central and also Central European. So we've got okay. an office in Amsterdam that I work a lot with. So that I started doing, uh, opening my meetings from 8 a.m. So 8 till 10, I prioritize anybody from the Amsterdam office or from Poland, the Poland the Polish mm. office that wants to speak to me there. And then the rest of the people pile on from, from, from then. And, and what's interesting is um, very few people actually set meetings the one place i'll often have gaps is after four or five in the day and i think this is a kind of like a lot a lot of parts for business are a bit slower because we're very heavily connected to events yeah and i think a lot of people like to finish their day about four in the afternoon you know and uh maybe in events (laughs) we you know we, we we because of the fact that we we have this this offset of time, Salt Lake City is two hours behind. Mm. We have we generally do ten to six, and this week I had a meeting request for nine a.m. and I swear to God, it was the hardest thing I've ever mm. done. Like in 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 the past year was being on at nine. I just I got yeah. on at the same time as the producer, and we both <laughs> looked at each other and we we're both like, "Oh, this is awful. This is just awful." I mean, but it's, it's, what, it's what we it's what we've been doing. It's the expectation yeah. is if the client asks, you do it. It's what it's what you get what you get used to. I mean, I you know I spent most of my life working for marketing companies, and marketing companies generally speaking expect their creators to work fairly long hours it's part it's built into the business model of every advertising agency unfortunately yeah. unfortunately yeah. and i've tried to 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 limit it not just for myself but for my staff in the past and when i started working with cubic and it was explained to me that that's not it's just not allowed in their culture right i would find you know the first couple because i did a month or two months working in the office uh, before the covid shut things down and it would come to five to five and there'd be nobody in the building. Like, and I mean, nobody in the building, like right. the one person. And to the point where I've been, because if I'm leaving at five, I kind of feel, and they, nine, it's nine to five, which is- the Well, look at you, does. Johnny Lunchpail, staying until five. <laughs> I know. And actually, and, and there's a couple of times where I didn't have time to get everything done. So I'd be in there and like, there was a night I stayed till seven to get everything done. Right. And it felt like I'd done an all-nighter. It felt like I was like sneaking out the building at 4 a.m. There was right. a, clean, a cleaner that like like got the fright of his life. He was like, what, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I work here. 
It's like, yeah, but it, it's like, it's nearly seven. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I actually and, did, uh, when I first started the thinking box, I did an all nighter like, and, and, and they just like Christine just turned in, like I emailed, uh, the producer and, um, her name escapes me, not Anna. Shit. I can't remember. Anyways, the producer who no longer works, she's no longer there. She, uh, I emailed her at like 5am and I said, I said, I'm, I'm completely bagged. Here's where I am with the project. Uh, you know, I'll pick it up in a couple of hours. Just let me get some sleep. And I was like, I got a call four hours later going, nobody asked you to do that. Nobody mm. wanted you to work overnight. Nobody, if, if you felt like you were going to have to do that, you should have let us know. We could have spoken to the client. And that's changed my entire perception because there's never been a company I've worked for that has not indicated and if I don't get it done, that that's not my job. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to lose my job. And this was the first time where I worked voluntarily because I thought that I was told to do that. They said it's got to be done for a certain amount of time. And I knew all the steps involved to get it done weren't going to be in a nine to six or 10 to six. So I, I just stayed up all night working on it and they were just, they were aghast, you know, yeah. And it was, it wasn't like, there wasn't like a thanks so much you did that. It was a thanks, but you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. yeah. And that's a and hard it, mindset to change. It, yeah. It, it, it's rare. And I mean, it's, it's such a valuable thing. Actually, just rather than um, when I was looking for an opportunity and I ended up at Cubic, I also went to and spoke to a big ad agency in town who actually in this instance, I have a tendency to name names. In this time, this instance, I won't. I really liked them as a company, <laughs> and I did some due diligence on them. And the thing everybody said was that, well, they're great, it works great, but it's late hours, and everybody works late hours. And I'm like, well, right. I, I don't work late hours anymore. And I'm not saying that I'm like, a, I, everybody has, in our industry, there's always the occasional night sure. or later. But as a rule... I'm out the door after like an eight or an eight or nine hour shift. And that that's, that's yeah. as a rule. And, and I'm gone. And this expectation that, you know, and if I need to go and do something, walking out the door at five, I have no problem. I've got no shame about walking out the door at five, but there mm -hmm. are agencies and, th and this place really had that reputation of that. And I'm yeah. like, do you, know, do you know, even though you want to hire me at VP level in your organization, you have a culture of your company, which is not that, and I'm not going to work, and it's going to. I'm going to fail in your company because yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm just not the right culture for your company. Yeah, it's hard. You know what? It's it's interesting. I've I've I can almost guarantee I know who you're talking about. But the funny thing about it is, is when you challenge that and say you are you are setting your employees up for burnout. That that is your intention, and you treat it like it's a it's some kind of education you're giving your employees. You have to work hard. You're gonna have to do it because our our clients deserve the best, and the best means working overtime consistently. Well, you only pay me for forty hours a week, mm. you know, and that's a hard conversation to have. If you challenge that, I I worked at a company for five weeks. They no longer exist. It's totally fine. But for five weeks, for those five weeks, I worked 40 hours a week. And every single time I walked out the door, they were like, where are you going? And I'm like, mm. 
my day is done. I'll be yep. back tomorrow. I'll see you pay me for nine to five. I'm here from nine to five. And, the, and every, every week that we had the conversation about resourcing, it was, we have you booked for 70 hours. And I would say, well, I'm not doing them. Mm-hmm. And well, we can't tell the client no. And I said, I didn't tell the client no. I told you no. You figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Because I was in charge of two other developers and they all had 70 hour weeks. And I said, that's not a failing of the developer. That's no. a failing of, of, the, of the producer. So if you can't figure out how to get this job done with the people you have, then you hire more people. Well, it, it can be the, the, the failing developer. But I have very, very strong and, and often in the context of an ad agency, a marketing agency, controversial opinions on this, which is that, and I, and I tell this to everybody that I hire, it says, if you're here working late, as a normal, regular thing to do, then either you're not good enough to do the job and you're not able to get your work done in time, or we've not sold the com- the job right in order that it has enough budget to do it correctly, or the project manager's not good enough at their job that they're able to do this correctly but it's a failing in one of those three areas and yeah for sure it's seldom that the individual maker isn't competent enough to do it and it's shit rolls downhill and ultimately it it, it lands here and and i I do go out my way and 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 again it's it's one of those things where you have to explicitly state that in a company and you you know i'm again now my job is in leadership um, I've always think I've, I played a role in the culture of companies, but I think now it's the single most valuable thing I bring to an organization is I'm devotional about culture. And I actually learned a bunch of this from a men that one method. And he was very focused on making sure that we, we hired right for the culture of the company. We had a right. couple of really terrible, terrible hires. Um, like I hired our manager. I, helped interview our managing director, for example. Um, we, we decided we needed a, a grown-up that would wear blazers and shake hands with people on the golf course. And right. I helped interview him. I was really high on Percocet at the time because I had uh, hurt myself in a go-kart accident. And um, I, I had to go interview. He was he was just an awful cultural choice for us. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't mention him by name. Let, let's, call him, um, let's call him Dave Nurse. And so... <laughs> Um, this <laughs> there's just no real, like this, that name, whatever the name is, it's not getting in. Let's it's just, it's one of those funny. <laughs> let's call him. It, it's going to rhyme with Bob. <laughs> no, shoot. No, it's going to rhyme with Knob. <laughs> so let, let, let's just say it rhymes with Dave Nurse, right? And, uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, the, the, he was a guy, he came, he was the MD at Saatchi and he right. came over and he was a guy that was, he's a sales guy and he had no interest in what we were selling. We could have been selling widgets. And right. that did for me was it really helped me see the value of um, integrity and leadership, people who are competent as well. And when you as an individual don't have respect for the person that you're working for, um, mm-hmm. it's a it's a disaster. It's, it's a complete disaster. And this is somebody that I'd, just didn't have any, I had two problems with him. He had no interest in what we were selling. I had no desire to learn about technology or yeah. it was just, he was just there to shake hands with people on the, on the golf course. And the other thing was he had 
no balls whatsoever. He managed up. So we were in a presentation and realized right. that we're sitting, you know, designers would present something to Amin and he would wait to hear what Amin said and they would go, he would agree with whatever Amin said. It, parrot yeah. it back. Oh, and so, and so, which actually allowed us to have a play a really fun game, which was set up Dave to backtrack. So we'd like present something and we'd say, so we've made this red. Um, and we think red's a color. Dave, how do you feel about red? And Dave would panic because nobody more senior than him had actually said anything yet. And right. he would say, well, um, red's definitely a color that is, <laughs> do you know what? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I, I, I like red. And, and, and Amin was in on it as well. And Amin would say, I really don't like red. I think it should be blue. And then Dave would say, well, I mean, that, that's what I mean. When I say I really like red, I actually mean blue. Blue's definitely <laughs> the right thing. And I, I mean, it was as black and white or as red and blue as that. It was, it was right. super fun. But ultimately, what I learned from that totally disastrous hire, and ultimately I got fired as a result because I just got utterly disillusioned with working such an idiot. Um, mm -hmm. And my advice on it is, I have two pieces of advice to somebody if they're, the, that are listening to this podcast. One, never hire a guy whose name rhymes with Dave Nurse. <laughs> And and two, um, brave purse. <laughs> pay a lot of attention to culture, not just the people that you hire, but also like leading by example. There's a really great book called The Culture Code by uh, Daniel Coyle, and you know one of the key things talked about. Talk, they did tests to try and see how many people it takes to make a team unsuccessful. And mm -hmm. so they had a team of people working in like business meeting, creatively doing things. And they had one person was a plant whose job was just to be an asshole and be difficult and say, right. this is, and just hate everything. This is never going to work. And just, just be completely negative. And like, really, you're going to suggest that and just be a complete asshole. And it just takes one person in a group of like 12 people working on something and the whole thing falls apart. Everyone gets disillusioned. And it's just because of that one person. Yeah. But what, what they did find was that occasionally you'd have somebody that was an antidote. And you get the person who does two things. One of which is that they'll diffuse, often with humor, when somebody is negative to the point where when they did this test, the person that was in there to be negative found themselves accidentally being positive because they were just consumed by the, right. like the, the energy of this person. And another thing this person did was they made it feel safe to risk making a fool of yourself. And that's something that is, and I would say that's, that's the number one thing I've learned about um, leadership is put yourself in a situation where you show fallibility. I mean, you only get to the point of, of a degree of leadership in a, in a senior point in an organization once you become very, very competent, and but you're still going to make mistakes. And I'm, I go out my way to highlight where I have a lack of knowledge and where I get stuff wrong. And, mm. and it's something I've seen with all great leaders that, and the, certainly the executive team I work with at Cubic are particularly good at this, and the property platform team, just the same. And it's very open about making sure that Here's my feelings. Like we, 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 we had a, a presentation that didn't go very well recently and everyone was feeling down and bad about it and really, really like, oh, I can't believe that didn't go well. And the, like the, the screen share didn't work and then something else didn't work. It was just like the worst, everything perfect storm yeah. presentation. And you know, I was very quick to, and I was a bit pissed off. And I'm like, no, this was a bigger opportunity, but here's the thing. It's more 
that one opportunity isn't as important as the team doing well and, and as going forward. So I made a point of telling a tale, which is a true tale, where I I once did a, a, a presentation to a client and we got halfway through and I realized I was using the wrong deck. I was I was I was presenting one thing and I'd brought completely the wrong presentation. Right. And I'm like, I just got halfway through this and none of you pointed out. Like, but why didn't anybody say this is a pitch for a website? And we're not even making a website here. Right. And, and the client's like, yeah, I was kind of wondering. I thought maybe you were going to come to a point. I was curious about that, but I didn't <laughs> want to. And it's like, like, I wish the world just swallowed me up. And so it's like, I think that showing fallibility and creating a safe space for people to say stuff where if they get it wrong or if they say something dumb, that they're not going to be made fun of. And that, that's, yeah. that's, that's utterly crucial. It's really, really important. Not just for like, success and good ideas but it's 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 for creating like a work environment that people like to work in yeah you know it's interesting and i i am likely we're, we're likely tying off pretty soon like yeah. this has been yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I, I i can see where i'm running out but um there is something i want to talk about really quickly and and and, and it's specifically around culture and 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 the idea of culture fit and somebody, I, I don't remember who it was now, and I feel awful that I'm going to quote them, but they'd said, culture fit is usually a way of promoting homogeneity. It's, you know, saying, I want that person because they're they're, they will already fit into what we do. And what you're really looking for is culture add. Who can add to the culture of your company? And it, and it just, the way they, the way they, the, when they said it, I just was like, oh, yep. And, and, and. I always, I always looked at it without realizing that that's how we treated it in marketing, especially advertising is always about like, who would you go out and have a, a drink with? Well, that's not where we are. We're not in that mode anymore. Sure. There are people in their twenties that are in that mode, but I'm not, I don't want to have, I don't need to have that conversation with everybody. And now it's what, what can that person bring to your culture as opposed to how can they fit into your culture? Is your culture pr appropriate? It's interesting, especially when you talk about um, that the culture is pre-existing within Cubic, that people go, they leave it before five, they're done their day, there's no expectation of overtime. That's not, that's not necessarily what I would consider culture. I would consider that a good work life balance <laughs> as opposed to culture. I think, I think when you, when you look at it from the point of view of, are these people that you enjoy speaking with? Are they people that you respect their opinion? Are you, are they people that, that you want to have in a conversation with other people that have an impact on your business? That's culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I think that yeah. they're, I think they're very different things. And, and, and I have I have been very very fortunate to be working for a very diverse company. Thinking Box is an incredibly diverse company, mm -hmm. so it's it's fantastic to be in be as opposed to the old days in marketing, where you could be in a meeting and there'd be one woman and eight dudes, and it was always like a who, who's going to talk the most. I'm now one of two out of eight, and the other six are women, mm -hmm. and it's like. It's fantastic because it has provided me with a perspective on not just execution and not just ideas, but also why we might do something. Because that's not something that I've, sometimes I never even have to think about it. Why would I do it? I do ask that question a lot, but having a 
fully, fully different perspective from me is so valuable in a, in a company, you know? I, I still think th there is value though in saying that we're going to exclude douchebags, for example. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think that, that I do, I do think that, you know, Nave purse was not the right choice. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but, I mean it, it, but that 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 wasn't an intention yeah. to say like they're so close to what we already do. But look at how they're going to enhance yeah. it. You know, I, I, and that and that's a difficult part of it. it. It's not black and white. It, there's there's a gray area there in between. You know, it's kind of like you can say. Well, we, actually, one of my favorite quotes of all time um, was. Uh, from a guy called Nick Tweedy, a graphic designer I worked with and, and wonderful graphic designer. And all of the graphic design this agency does were very beautifully minimalist, modernist mm -hmm. uh, graphic design. It, just fantastic work. But if you're not um, a graphic designer aficionado, then a lot of it can kind of look the same because it's it's like right. it's all very, it's very, very subtle minimalist. And I remember one day saying, to, to the team I'm saying like I think what we need is more whimsy in the work and I meant it tongue in cheek because I, I really like the, the work and um, you know there's just you know not enough diversity and Nick spoke up and said oh we like diversity we we really like diversity as long as it's the right kind of the diversity <laughs> just like, yeah see that. <laughs> and but it, was he bad. joking too or <laughs> no, like was no, he, he also he joking? Like, he's like no oh. this, this is the correct type of and what he meant it was graphic design he's, he's, right he's, right okay. but i think you know we're what, what we're talking about there is that yeah I, there's certain personality types that i just wouldn't let into my company because it's again it's like it's only it might only be a little bit piss in your beer but there's still some piss still, in your beer still just I, I don't enough. want to drink the beer it's just like, there, there is no <laughs> that's a good callback <laughs> no minimum, minimum amount of piss in my beer that i'm still going to drink yeah yeah and so and so so it's a case of, so you've definitely got to draw the line somewhere but how close are you prepared to go or how far are you away, appear to go away from your existing culture to bring in that diversity without going so far that you've got somebody that likes to take a piss in your beer? Well, see, that's why it's add. It's not about it's not about diverting from that culture. It's about adding to the culture. So, yeah, it it I I guess that was a roundabout way for me to say I totally agree. But also, there's this thing, but. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Haas, I, I have to say, you know, while I, while I think this is not the conversation I thought I'd be having. And I, I have to say like it is so much, so much better um, in, in that, that, that it covered so many more topics than I, than I thought I would, would have earlier when you said, do you have more questions? And I was like, I never really ever have questions. Like, the, like every one of those episodes, it's just me having a conversation. And, and, and I have truly enjoyed this conversation with you tonight. Well, thank you very much. You, you're going to edit this to make it sound really good, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just realized, like, you sent me a calendar invite for this, and it was an hour long. And I'm like, I don't know, like, have, have I got an hour's worth of stuff to talk about? And we've been chatting now for... <clears throat> Yeah. Nearly three hours, and, and I yeah. absolutely loved every minute of it.
This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating. Thank you.